0: What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Rapid Fire Podcast. River and CoinKite are the two great companies which sponsor this show and respectively help you to buy and securely self-custody your Bitcoin. If you'd like to learn more about them, keep listening. If not, skip ahead 70 seconds. CoinKite, first and foremost, makes products that help you take secure self-custody of your Bitcoin. Their flagship product, the Cold Card Hardware Wallet, has been a favorite of many Bitcoiners for many years. They recently took things to the next level with the announcement of the Cold Card Q1, which takes all the awesome features of the MK4 and adds a full QWERTY keyboard, QR code scanner, large LCD screen, battery power, and a ton more. Beyond that, the CoinKite store is basically Toys R Us for Bitcoiners. Seriously, if you're into Bitcoin, you'll probably want most of the stuff on there. Check it all out, including the popular Block Clock series, or reserve a new Q1 at CoinKite.com. River is the place to build your Bitcoin wealth in the US. In my humble opinion, regular dollar cost averaging is the most effective and stress-free way to accumulate Bitcoin. You just set it, forget it, and watch the sats pile up. No timing, no trading, just stacking. And River makes it super easy with their zero-fee recurring Bitcoin purchases. If you wanna stack even harder, you can do so with their hosted mining rigs. And if you're a developer or entrepreneur, Their Lightning service allows you to integrate Lightning payments into your applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure yourself. The team is awesome, they're building the future of Bitcoin financial services, and they're in it for the long haul. Learn more about them and all their awesome products and services at river.com today. Boys, great to see you again. It's been six months. It always seems like uh, I I can't believe how long it's been, or I can't believe it's been six months since we last spoke because... It doesn't feel like that much time has passed, but certainly there's been a lot going on. The last time we spoke was end of October 2022. So pre-SBF, uh, pre-SVB, pre-GBTC, you know, pre-everything. So we've got a lot of stuff to discuss. <laughs> How you guys doing?
1: Great. By the way, congrats on your news pre-engagement. thank you very much thank you come
2: on there you go can you tell me some details
0: uh details details. all right details I was in um uh the south of France with family for the last uh, two weeks and I had I had the ring so my grandfather gifted uh myself and my two sisters um diamonds from a ring that my grandmother wore for her whole life And he wanted us to use it when we, when we got engaged. And so I had, I used that to get a ring made in Newfoundland. So I had my mom help me make the ring and she handed it off to me when we were in France. And when I got back, I was kind of thinking like, how should I do this? You know, I'm not, I didn't really want to do the down on one knee thing. It's just not my or her style. She, you know, she doesn't really like attention or public stuff. So I didn't think doing it in a public place or a restaurant or beach or whatever would be, would be right. So I was just hanging on to it and I was going to see if the moment struck and we were lying in bed, you know, kind of having a lazy Sunday or lazy Thursday, whatever it was a few days ago. And, um, uh, she just asked me what I was thinking. And I was thinking like, when am I going to ask her to marry me? And uh, I I made up some bullshit excuse because it caught me off guard. And then like five minutes later, we were up having coffee. I was like, fuck, that was the moment, wasn't it? Wow! Uh, So I threw her back into the bed and it was like, ask me that question again. Wow. So she asked me and
2: uh, <laughs> so, uh, that's cool because when I said, tell me details, I wanted to know about the young lady, whether you had known her for a long time or whatever, I assumed you were going to tell me the story. So my granddad made this ring for me and I said, damn, I got to go get married now. And you were out looking for the girl to get married because you had the ring made, but no, I congrats, she, my she, friend. that's fantastic.
0: She, thank you. Thank you. She's been my girl since uh,
3: 2018. Wow. So we've, and we've been together Canadian, for a while. Or
2: is she Canadian? No, she's or Thai. What? Wow! All right, yeah. that's so cool.
3: When you yeah. started off the the conversation, you said two weeks, and I'm in France, and I was like, "Oh, wow! This is this is elaborate moving
0: out." <laughs> <laughs> no, that was uh, that was that was just the ring handoff. Uh, well, I, part of the story. Sure
2: she, she follows. I'm not sure if she follows you on your social media platform, and I don't know her name, but I will tell her because she's never met me. I hope that she's got a good catch. Okay. And, uh, she's very lucky, but John, you probably are extremely lucky as well. So my blessings from Canada, uh, just do what you got to do to keep a happy marriage. It's a wonderful thing.
0: Thank you Foss, very much. I appreciate that. Uh, we're both lucky. And so, uh, we're looking forward to things that come next because we want to get cracking on family and all that jazz. So we're excited. Um, Anyhow, what's, what's new with you guys? What's, you know, I want to, like I said, I don't know where to start because so much has been going on, but I'd love to just know what is most interesting to you guys right now as we're sitting here speaking today, you know, because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people talking about where Bitcoin is at. Are we, you know, is there another leg down with recession or are we, you know, on the upswing now? There's so much going on in the world. Um, where is your focus being placed, Foss? Why don't you?
2: Yeah, hit it I first? thanks for that. Because I, I, think this. So, guys, you know what? My life has gone uh, absolutely uh, parabolic since I was lucky enough to be on stage with the two of you, and then John as uh, the the host, right? You remember two Bitcoin <laughs> Miamis ago, and here I am, some you know knucklehead Canadian that had just come out with a thesis on why you can value Bitcoin as a credit default swap on a basket of fiat currencies, all right? And I'm on stage with the Jeff Booth, the Preston Pish. I apologize, um, uh, Preston, for your, 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 your co-host cowork- uh, or whatever, his name, and then we're there with Mark Yusko, right? And then there's this idiot Canadian, Greg Foss. Who the hell is he? And so I, I, I have this thesis on credit default swaps and you can actually value Bitcoin Because like I like to, everyone says, Bitcoin has no intrinsic value, blah, 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 blah. Well, go full circle. And Mike Novogratz, who we love him or hate him, the man is a big man in finance, tweets out today, Bitcoin is a credit default swap on sovereign debt. Think about it. And I've been inundated. Novo, Greg Foss has been saying this for years. And Novo, you know, this kid in Canada has been saying this for years and you know, don't steal his shit, don't steal his thunder. And I'm fine (laughs) with it, I don't care, it's just a thesis. (laughs) But did you guys see when, so this is how much I love Bitcoin too. So that's three years ago, it's just today. Novo tweets this thing out. I'm like, well, okay, my thesis is getting around because I can calculate the value of Bitcoin using credit default swaps on the United States and show you that Bitcoin should be trading at over $200,000 today On USA debt alone, based on insurance prices for that debt. Anyway, that's intrinsic value. Novo tweets it around, but here's the funniest thing. Novo was out there promoting Luna and Terra. You remember that, and he was a big Luna Terra guy. And the Bitcoin Twitter community took my face and tattooed it on Novo's arm. (laughs) Did you guys ever see that one? Of course, of course. Anyway, I I, I
1: call it. I call it the two wolves. (laughs)
2: Oh my God. It's beautiful. So anyway, this is where I'm at now, John. So it'll be, I guess if we do the math properly, it'll be two years almost, or is it three years since our first Bitcoin conference together, probably only two, like 700 and whatever days, 800 days since we were first together on stage. And I've met so many great people in Bitcoin and I'm so grateful to you two guys and John, you as well. Uh, And for the people I've met in this community, because I don't care if Bitcoin never achieves my price target I'm so much more wealthy for meeting guys like you and meeting young kids and I'll talk about that later in the show if you'll allow me uh, through the you know the community and whether it's Bitcoin Twitter because I still don't know how to use Noster properly and you know I get I fumble all around with that stuff but at the end of the day my life has changed so positively for the better and that's a value of Bitcoin that, does get, not get reflected in the price, right? And so that's my intro to you guys. Uh, Preston, Jeff, you guys are unbelievable. John, you are the ambassador, the, the best Canadian ambassador for Bitcoin, and you don't even live here anymore. Like, you know what I say, ambassador, <laughs> global ambassador. So yeah, guys, that's what I've been up to. I'm absolutely flattered that I have met so many people in this great community. I honestly believe more than ever, the banking crisis that we are going through right now will be reflected in sovereign debt credit spreads. And the value of Bitcoin intrinsically goes up as bank stocks go down. And I can show you the exact correlation using credit default swaps. Hey, you don't have to buy the thesis, but don't listen to Charlie Munger and don't listen to Steve Hankey, who says it has no intrinsic value. They are wrong and they are going to expire they're past their best before date they'll expire they shouldn't buy green bananas right you know the story
0: let me jump in before i hand it to the other guys to get what they're particularly focused on today and with those two guys i mean it's so i don't know why they still get so much engagement because clearly they're just playing to their incentives right hanky has an incentive not to admit that a new monetary paradigm has emerged because he's meant to be an expert on monetary paradigms and affairs and how to, you know, people ostensibly go to him for his input on how to structure a new currency of some kind or a currency uh, panel or whatever he likes to call it, you know? So if something comes along and says like, well, we figured it out, you know, here it is. And all you got to do is learn about it and figure out how to use it and all that kind of stuff. That's, that kind of disrupts his, Raison d'être, you know, his income stream from people looking for his expertise. So, of course, we—I sh- don't think we—we we should be waiting for uh, for those guys to to come around. But Foss, you know, when you're saying all that, and we—I think we we mention this all the time of just how. Amazing! How, how much our lives have been enriched by being in this space and all the people that we meet and the relationships we build. Which I agree, but it's always funny listening to you because on the podcast you're like Mr. Cuddly Teddy Bear, and then on Twitter you're all you're telling people, calling people fucks and you know, whatever your whatever
2: your. <laughs> Remember that is how is. you communicate on a trading floor. The guy that gets the most attention in a Bloomberg terminal is the guy that sends around his price run with some little funny quote on the top that gets you laughing to say, so the funniest guy I ever met in trading was a guy by the name of Jerry Lee who traded for JP Morgan, okay? He was a JP Morgan credit default swap trader and he was hands down the funniest trader I've ever met. Like he would send out a video of a ship in a storm, where this fat guy—and you can't say that, but I'm saying it anyway—this fat guy is lying on the floor because he gets knocked down in a seat in a in a storm on a, and he's sliding across the floor with a piano, and this fat guy fly, flying across the floor and flying across the floor the other day, and Jerry Lee would post something like. This is how I have to post my volatility or my value at risk to my trading boss tonight, as if he was the guy on the floor sliding across <laughs> the, uh, the deck of the or the, the dance floor of this, uh, of this thing. So I try to humor my tweets as if I was a trader trying to get attention of people that otherwise wouldn't read my tweets. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just an old, uh, it's a trading floor habit like when you're getting crucified on the trading floor, the funniest thing you can do is send out something that shows you like a blo- a, you're, you're a blood spot on a windshield or something, you know? And you're, you're like, guys, help me out. I'm going out of business. This is my final day on the desk. Get me some bids or something like that or get me some offers. I'm short something. So I try and do that. Um, I am honest. I'm a trader. I swear a lot. I try and apologize for it, but I can't get it out of my And so over to you guys, Jeff. And so the beautiful thing about me being on a podcast with you two wise men is Jeff looks at me and he's like, he's like, like you're uh, in in my thing. You're looking upwards, Jeff, at uh, my window might not be the same as yours. But the point is you look up like on the Brady bunch and you're like, (laughs) this fucking kid's He's he's hilarious. But hey, hey, Foss, Foss, you don't have to run through this brick wall. This wall has a door in it. Okay. Follow me. We'll go through the fucking door. You don't have to fucking fucking go through the door, uh, go through the wall, and so that's why I love being on podcasts with Jeff. And he was on today with Scott Melker, and I purposely didn't go on I, until Jeff you had left because you say things so well, and then Preston is sort of like in between a little bit. But someone says about Jeff, they go, "That guy's the nicest guy in telling you you're an absolute, you know, turd," and he says it so nicely, whereas I say it and I'm like, "Well." Believe it or not, I was actually being very nice by trader standards, but I, everyone thinks hey, i would be Foss, a total cup Don't change you. It's what I we can't. love. <laughs> exactly. You be you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, guys. Over yeah. to you. And and
0: you can you can say fat on this. We're not we're not about that political correct stuff here. You 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 be you, Foss. That's what we love you for. Like Jeff said. Thank you, my uh, friend. All right. Again, before we head it off to the other, hand it over to the other two guys for you know what they're interested in right now. Foss, what, what is the CDS market saying right now? And do you think, you know, because Bitcoin has been correlated with risk asset stocks yep. for a long time. And my impression is that there's, well, I shouldn't say my impression. I wouldn't be surprised if there's more pain in equity markets to come as we move perhaps into a, to a recession. Yep. And if Bitcoin is still correlated with that, then that would yep. mean Bitcoin may go if, down with it. Right. If. if. But are we starting to see that decoupling? It takes happening? a few
2: tweets, it takes a few tweets from really revered people like Mike Novogratz to get other people thinking. So the smartest guy that I've ever seen come into Bitcoin space, this is just me talking, is a guy who manages a huge credit fund in the US. And I've talked about him before. Um, I won't dox him here, but I'll just say I first met him when he was an American buying defaulted debt on Stelco, Canada's largest steel company. And I went down and visited him in New York and he, well, heck, I'm going to dox him. His name is Steve Tannenbaum and he runs a huge, huge credit fund and he <laughs> loves Bitcoin. But he used to be this two-bit analyst at New York Life in New York City. And he's like, I found a steel company in Canada. that's trading at way lower than breakup value, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to give this kid an order. And I'm this little trader that has this order and he's bigger than all of Canada combined. Like New York life just says, okay, Canada sold to me, like fucking ship it in. So he's buying Stelco. And I'm like, I love this guy. Cause everyone in Canada is flushing Stelco, like throwing it out baby with the bathwater at any price. Anyway, he buying, then he sells at a different price. But at the end of the day, he now runs a credit fund called golden tree. And he's huge. Okay. Steve Tannenbaum, huge Wall Street guy. He likes Bitcoin for a couple of years now. And he's a credit fund guy, but he's not Mike Novogratz. Novo is a Wall Street legend, but Novo's not that smart. Okay. Novo gets all his ideas from guys like um, uh, Steve Tannenbaum. So Novo thinks it's CDS. Damn, that's going to go out across probably zero hedge. We'll pick the story up again. And all these guys are going to realize this is a long volatility asset, which means it's actually an asset that should go up in value when volatility is increasing. And when volatility is increasing, credit is collapsing, equity markets are collapsing, people are paying for option value, they're buying put options. So the VIX is going up, and if VIX is going up, volatility is going up. And if you're in a long volatility asset, like I think Bitcoin is, It should be going up in value. It's not going to happen overnight, John, but it takes a long time to teach the old Wall Street dog new tricks. And so I'm just going to be very careful. Don't trade your book based on rearview mirror thinking. As soon as a big fund realizes they need Bitcoin as protection against their US dollar exposure, and this doesn't have to be a domestic fund. This could be like, oh, Saudi Arabia. You know, I'm pretty exposed to the US dollar here. I better get something on my book. Uh, I need half a trillion. I need half a trillion, not half a billion. I need half a trillion of exposure. Well, that's the entire market cap of Bitcoin. And then the price doesn't go down, you guys. The price just fucking goes up. And that's what happens when a big cat comes into the room. And I am not predicting that going to be happening, John, because I am negative on equities. And I think that the We've been whistling past the graveyard, and if you guys haven't looked at uh, First Republic Bank results today, it's a absolute clown show. They coughed up a lung, okay? The, <laughs> they didn't even take—they didn't even take any—they didn't even take any questions on the conference call, and they're going out of business sale. You're happening right you're taking, now, going out of business.
3: You're taking my point, Greg. <laughs> okay, stop, stop, stop,
2: because we're 20 minutes into this. And my two best buddies on Twitter, uh, anywhere in, in Bitcoin have not even said anything. So put me on mute. I'm going to go hug a friend of mine and then I'm going to come back. Okay. So okay. I, I'm coming back. Okay. You put okay. Your, voice. This is, Thanks. this is
3: great. So he's leaving and I'm going to talk about his tweet. No, no, no. Then I'm <laughs> staying, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm staying. I'm staying. <laughs> so the thing you're talking like, what, what am I looking at today? And. Greg's tweet is so in your face and it encapsulates uh, what I would tell you has been like the story since the start of this calendar year. So uh, First Republic Bank, I'm, I'm literally reading Greg's tweet right now. So Greg's still speaking. I'm just hes speaking through me. <laughs> um, First Republic Bank halted. <laughs> what's he doing? Down 30, 38% on the day. Market cap is under $2 billion. Uh He goes on. So- I mean, this is, this is huge. This is, this is massive because what we're really getting at with this, nothing has been solved, right? Like they stepped in with this backstop facility and they added, uh, you know, the numbers I'm hearing is like effectively a trillion in liquidity was added into the market since the start of this calendar year uh, to provide what, you know, Luke Roman and others are, you know referring to as effective yield curve control because they're basically providing a backstop to the sell off in the prices for anybody that's balance sheets impaired and i completely agree with that way to kind of quantify this or describe this and so these act the 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 swap lines that have have been open since the start of the calendar year are just massive because the, the uh euro dollar market is just starved of liqu- of liquidity so like All of these things that they're doing, if you would warp yourself back to the 2007 kind of timeline, like these activities are unprecedented activities if you go back to that point in time. But post-2008 crisis, uh, it's been completely normalized. People think that these actions that we're seeing right now are, are normal when they're anything but the sort normal. And... More importantly, and this goes to a lot of the the stuff that Jeff really kind of talks a lot about, which is these unprecedented actions are, are making the problem worse. They are solving nothing. They're doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on policies that are that are going to bring one hell of a scary kind of explosion uh, to these to these credit markets in this fractional reserve system. And just another day in the market, uh, First Republic Bank halted 38% down, you know, uh, reading Greg's uh, tweet here, Janet, we have a problem. So that's what's on my mind. And it's just, you know, I don't know when it explodes, but I can tell you one thing every day just gets spicier and spicier with just intervention, manipulated markets and trillion here, trillion
1: there. Like after a while, it starts adding up to like real money. Yeah, I, I want to build on that. I just want to say nothing surprising, right? Mm-hmm. This this isn't surprising at all. It's the same stuff that that I predicted in my book would happen as a response to to an exponential trend driven by technology that was unsolvable from the existing system. So the existing this is just a, like it's and then all of the other second and third order derivatives of that um, are perfectly predictable out of that exact same thing. Why people don't think they're perfectly predictable is they're trying to update their mental model of the way the world works with information that clashes with that mental model. And, and, and then explain, oh, it's just this time. It's just this time. It's just this. And they stay stuck. And it's getting worse and worse all around the world. And and there's two, there's exact, the, the debt in the world is already insolvent. It has been for a long time um so call it if if you kind of all of the hidden debt and everything else call it 400 trillion dollars of debt in the world it's been insolvent for a long time and allowing the free market to work more and more deflation you have uh, really simple probably the simplest thing i could say prices fall to the marginal cost of production every economist knows that No matter what you do, prices fall to the marginal cost of production. It's why your calculator app is free on your phone. It's it's why your photos are free today. It's why more and more is free. Second, you have exponentially, exponentially decreasing marginal cost of production. Artificial intelligence is coming at us like a wall, wall, wall. It's coming faster and faster and faster. That is going to merge with machines. And it's going to do so many things that you can't even imagine today, which should, in a normal market, make your life better as those prices fall and you don't have to work as hard to be able to accept them. In our existing system, they blow up the debt. And it blows up no matter what. So in our existing system, if you allowed that to happen, the debt blows up, period. And and so nothing I've said so far um, is... It is actually even argued there's no argument for what i just said it's just facts so there's a bunch of people believe believing it's okay to manipulate and we still live in the old world right? and there's a transition happening only from bitcoin that is pricing the, the the transition and so it's not bitcoin isn't actually going you could you could argue maybe but bitcoin isn't actually going up in price everything against it is falling in price forever right it's matching the economic realities of nature of 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 what's of what's happening and you couldn't measure what's happening out of a system of manipulation so if you ask what the next steps of that system of manipulation uh, are, are there's a whole bunch of second derivatives that must happen to pretend to keep that system solvent and so you could also be, if you were looking at those second order and third order implications, you can also be aware of all of those things and just tune it out, completely tune it out and go, why it's happier in Bitcoin, why we've developed the friendships we have, because you have a truth-based monetary system uh, that that is expanding and more and more, and as you start to see it, you start to see all of the incredible people in the world that are building towards it.
3: John, I I have one other pet peeve that is kind of like hit me lately. Um, I was having a conversation with uh a senator's office, like number two, number three guy in the senator's office. And um we were having a debate about Bitcoin coexisting with the dollar and all this, and um I get a little frustrated in people thinking that the dollar is separate from the euro, is separate from the yen, and separate from basically all these G seven uh, other fiat currencies that are that are there. It, it, as far as I'm concerned, all of these fiat currencies are just one giant blob of the same thing. They're completely interconnected. The central bankers, uh, you know, they go to Jackson Hole, they go to wherever together to harmonize their central banking policy. If they're all being debased, they're they're being debased in lockstep with each other, in harmony with each other. And to think that the US has some policy that's going to be way outside of the scope of what's happening in Europe or happening in the UK, I think is just laughable personally. Um, if any one of these large currencies start making an outsized move like well we saw it with uh with the japanese uh yen or uh what about a year ago or 9 months ago probably the last time we talked there was an outsized move where it was it was going down in value relative to everything else and you saw every lever possibly to be pulled to to reign that uh Loss and value in that currency back in with the blob of fiat currency, which is the G7. You know, I'm I'm calling it the G7, you could call it a NATO, you could call it whatever you want, but it's this giant trillions and trillions of dollars worth of buying power of fiat currencies all lumped together and 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 working in lockstep. The reason I bring this up, and the reason why I'm so frustrated, because there's this there's this narrative going around about. De-dollarizing and how the dollar's losing its its yeah. reserve status. But my point of view is is if we look over to Europe and we look at their bond yield curves, and we look at how aggressively they're selling off, and how aggressively out of lockstep they are with the inflation that they're seeing in Europe because there's no energy independence and an ability to rein it in and actually control it without like really breaking infrastructure over there or further consolidating the consolidation that's already happened, it's out of control. It's it's running away. So if you think that that's independent or outside of this blob of currency, of fiat currency, G7 fiat currency, I think you're sorely mistaken. I think the whole mothership of all of this is going down collectively together um, and it's all tied to it. It's it's all interwoven. The disaster is all interwoven to, it, with with each other. So I get a little frustrated because I think people are thinking that this is this is independent and like oh well that might fail over there but it won't cause issues. Like, no. Like they don't understand how the fractional reserve system works. They don't understand right. the dependence of the continuation of credit and keeping these these currency. Uh, the the exchange rate between these currencies to be locked in. I mean, the derivatives market alone for these currency exchange rates yeah. are going to keep these things in lockstep. And the blob is just going to continue to expand and, and, and de- well,
1: exponentially yeah. expand. Yes. It has well,
2: to- guys, the, the, the key thing is that total global foreign exchange trading is actually over 30 times the size of global trade. Right. 30 times. That's because it's a math. There is a formula, distinct formula called interest rate parity, that you can hedge up the interest rate in one country through the fiat forward curve and arbitrate the interest rates in various countries because it's math. So interest rate parity ensures that the blob will move together because it's only math, as Preston said. So I like to say all fiat currencies, sorry, Preston, all fiat currencies are melting ice cubes It's just that the rate of decay is relative. And sometimes one is melting faster than another because they have a different interest rate policy in that jurisdiction than they might have against the trading pair, which always happens to be the United States. But as a Canadian, Jeff and John, did you know that the Canadian dollar only trades against one currency in the world? And that's the US dollar to go from the US from the Canadian to dollar to the Japanese yen, you actually have to go through the US well, through dollar, the US first dollar. Yeah, before yeah. you can trade Canadian dollars versus Japanese yen. So like right there, there's a step that ensures the Canadian US interest peg. rate parity theme is peg. It's not quite a peg, but yeah. it's a mathematical peg stays in check. So this is just the way the global financial system works. Well said Preston.
3: But, but, but Greg, so th- I guess this would be the question that I'd pose to the group, right? If we can't get the the spread between the inflation rates we're seeing in in the EU and the UK under control, from inflation to their credit yields, if we can't get that under control, how in the world do, does any of the rest of the connectivity, which is in the U.S. or Japan, how do they get? How do they? How do they stop this? Right? Isn't this an isn't this a a spiral that you're not going to be able to stop because we're all interconnected yes, and dependent on each other? They tr- well,
2: so Jeff, can I jump in? Sorry. Yeah, you because, jump in, then I'll say it. Yes, because of this. Look, already the world realizes this, and you saw nineteen other nations want to join the BRICS to to organize a competing fiat global uh, reserve currency. Uh, did you know that the, and this is thanks to Lynn Alden and, and uh, I know James lavish, but I think I'm going to, uh, I think Lynn was on it first. That the, the, the BRICS, the GDP of the BRICS is now larger than the, G, the, the cumulative GDP of the G7 nations. set. So just think of that from a global trade perspective where the most important really? G7 nation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is why it's going to change. But the funny thing is they're trying to change it using a different fiat basket but go ahead John.
1: So, so let me jump into that because there's a there's even in measuring gdp right it, what so where are, where's your calculator app in gdp where are your photos in gdp and and that's what it, that it, it, what's happening here is more and more is falling out of gdp there uh, is a effecti- there is effectively one buyer in the world and it's the U.S. And if you said a second buyer in the world, it's Europe, which is funded by the same system, right? And that's why the backdoor operations to Europe—just who is going to say Who they're going to save? The rest of the brick BRIC countries are—you are, could say like 25% of China's market is housing, um, and, and 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 so it, it, more and more essentially store of value. To protect against uh, uh, against, and that's not that's not productivity growth, and I kind of productivity growth is typically today because of technology net negative GDP. So what you have is right. government, and you have a whole bunch of oh, exporting, J- 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 na- na- n- ex- exporting nations. Ne-
2: net negative though, not net negative, negative growth of GDP, but still negative. Yeah, negative negative growth. Yeah, yeah, of GDP, but negative growth of GDP. Yeah. Yeah, but
1: but it, but again if something moves to free, where is it in GDP?
2: Oh cool that yeah because when right? you ask where it's not my negative photos it's, in not, GDP? it's not so that's it's your not, point. I'm it's like not negative. what the hell's GDP? Where do I find my photos in GDP? I exactly. thought you were where talking about where do I find where, Yeah, no, where do I find my where do I find my calculator <laughs> I get it. for GDP? All of these it. things, where do we find this?
1: What we're doing right now in GDP. I get it now. Yeah, I get it's it. But the, the point is that's actually my point. There's less and less things. To make go up what goes up government spending so a lot of brick countries that sent i'm going to centralize an economy to wow. travel government spending that'll go up and it'll look like your gdp is positive <laughs> if i'm going to it, it lessen and, and and as things are going the other way that's the conflict today and it's a major wow. so mind melding wow you're yeah. blowing my
2: mind you're blowing my mind because going back to econ 101 right preston and john Y or GDP equals C plus I plus G plus net exports. Yes. And if and so, your consumer so, stuff is becoming free, which is 70% of U S GDP, then so, I so, plus G has to go higher in order for uh, and so, excluding net exactly. exports. Yeah. 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 Okay. I get so it.
1: now, so now what you're, ha- now what you're, you're having is a whole bunch of export driven countries that be- benefit the U S as their dollars collapse. And right, right. The now their labor is cheaper, their exports are cheaper, and they're all they're they're import. The major thing they import is raw materials to export to the U.S. or you could say Europe too. All by the same functioning trade. And otherwise, in other words, this is going to go on for a long time. This whole thing is not going to collapse. If it was going to collapse, then and, uh, and and all move to Bitcoin tomorrow, then then you would already see signs elsewhere in the world, like Venezuela, that has 110% uh, inflation rate, that they were already all Bitcoiners, right? And instead, what ends up happening is human nature, they stay trapped. They think it can be solved politically. They, they vote for more of the same because when people feel left out, they want more money from the in, in, in government, which makes it ha- ha- accelerate more. And, and you see this over and over. And, and this is going to play out because the network effect of that U.S. dollar and that system that we all live in is way stronger than people give credit to. So it, and, and anybody who's moving into Bitcoin is effectively saying, I don't have to pay for any of it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, move, I'm moving my time. If, if I had debt in the old system and everything, I'm going to move to the new system, I don't have to pay the $400 trillion in debt. Through manipulating my time and energy in the future, I'm going to move to the new system. Yeah,
0: Jeff, I'm I'm very much. I mean, I think we all are kind of on the same page here. But when you say this is all predictable, and it, you know, it's fun to it's interesting to discuss the details, if for no other reason, just to you know stand back in awe at the audacity of you know the overlords in the in the different moves they make, the policy decisions, that kind of stuff. Because whenever I see you know um, changing power value of bonds held by these banks or allowing them to to borrow against power value or bailouts or liquidity injections or whatever you want to call it all i see is appropriating and redistributing wealth that's all i ever see because i think that's what's happening and that happens long enough and you turn a presumably a pr- previously productive uh prosperous market into Increasingly into a slave colony, effectively. I mean, those are the the ends of the spectrum. And the question is, is how long can society hold itself together with that degree of wealth confiscation, with that degree of disparity between the populations? You know, but just and I'll let you jump in, Jeff. But the other, I wanted to to go back to Preston because I understand the point he's making. Like, you know, the, the policies. They can't allow the the fiat basket of currencies to diverge too much from one another, so the policies are going to mirror each other dramatically. And yes, maybe the U.S. dollar is the worst of, is the best of the worst. You know, is the best of a bad basket. And so maybe that conveys some benefit as all this unwinds. But they're basically going to act in that blob that Preston was describing. So, Jeff, after you jump in to comment on what I just said, Preston, I'd like you to maybe elucidate what point you were making there. Like, what's the significance of? of your displeasure with people not understanding the blob, let's say. But why don't
1: Jeff, we do Preston? Why don't we go to Preston first and then I'll jump in. Okay.
3: Well, for me, I just I think you're actually in the spiral part of of this uh of this blow up, this collective G7 blow up um I think that as as Europe continues to get things under control and I guess I'm looking I'm looking at the credit the yield curve in Europe and the UK and I'm looking at this yield curve and it's just selling off and there's there's no relief there's nothing in the volatility that suggests to me that uh any of it's slowing down as of today right it could change in a couple months from now like it, we could see it you know start getting bid and maybe the market the credit, Traders are saying, "Yeah, here comes the recession, and all this inflation that we're gonna that we that we've been seeing is going to evaporate because we're gonna go into a deep deep recession, maybe even a depression for whatever period of time, right? That would get it under control." But I'm not seeing that right now. I'm continuing to see the credit markets sell off, which is the the trader's way of saying none of this inflation is under control. And if none of the inflation is under control in something the size of Europe, in the UK. Um, I'm just like the knock on effect since it's all interconnected is it's not under control here either. Right. And I, I guess I get frustrated when people are looking at US Treasury yield curves and they're saying, oh, I see it's going sideways. And, and here comes the recession and we're going to go through this. And then this backstop facility, they're going to push all those, all that debt back onto all these banks, balance sheets, and we're going to walk away. And it wasn't anything right. Like, I don't buy it. It's I guess true. is my point. I don't buy any of it. I think, I think we're in the spiral. I think none of the stuff that's happening in Europe is under control. And uh especially when I look at like fundamentally what's causing that, it's because they don't have energy independence. It's everything that's happening in Russia and Ukraine and, and how they get energy itself, which is the which is the bedrock to the prices of everything. That's not only not solved, it's getting worse, or it appears to be getting worse. So when we go to a first principles of like what's driving these yield curves to look like that, it's not getting solved. it's getting worse. And so, um, you know, when I'm looking at uh, like just prices of everything, the price of money, it's it all revolves around everything we're talking about. It's this spread. It's this spread between inflation and debt. And, um, yeah, it's sure it's, it's a little bit better here in the U S right now, but we're so globally connected that I don't think that this is in our power to control or that it is like sustainable here without controlling this other end. And I love using biology because just something everybody can understand. If the U S is call it the brain and Europe is the heart or whatever, like, I'm sorry if you don't have both of those things functioning and and operating normally, the, the entire person or the body is dead. Um, so that's my concern. That's my frustration. I did. I just can't, I guess I'm looking at them like, how can't you see this? Like, how can you act like that's not completely connected and that they're independent of each
0: other? Like, that's crazy to me. So I know this is, this is always the question before Jeff, you jump back in. Um, but so there's this tension, right? Of thinking like, wow, how, and we we talk about all this all the time. I'm, I'm pretty sure if we go back in our conversations, it's like, wow, how can this persist? How can this go on? How can the can be kicked down the road further? And then it just is, you know, it looks like the end is nigh. It looks like everything's about to break. And then there's some turbulence and then things, you know, normalize a bit. And yes, there's a continual grinding down of all the things that allow a society to flourish. Let's say, I mean, this is part of what Jeff articulated and what, which I agree with that this, you know, this things continue to degrade as they try to keep something that's fundamentally untenable together. Um, But it ends up taking longer. So Preston, I'm I'm getting the sense that you're kind of sitting there being like, I can't see how it can persist that much longer. I mean, the cracks are so significant, but Jeff, you just finished saying this could go on for a long time. So, you know, let me jump. What about that?
1: it goes along for a long time, not because of what Preston said. The cracks are there. It's because what when the cracks emerge and and okay. society society starts to break, um, what would you do, or what would people do? And what they do what they do is they reinforce the existing system. They think it can be solved by a new leader within the existing system who's going to print more money. So it's, it's human nature that keeps it going on for longer rather than math and and that and and so so or what what do people do right now think of all of the people even in Bitcoin that most of their day is reinforcing the noise inside the existing system and yelling at different participants when you could change Yellen you could change all of these actors every single person put replace them with different faces and nothing would change it, it can't change from that system it has to be a, a, it's only changing from a new system that is essentially repricing that entire system in a transition but what will people do is they will they will through their actions make the existing system stronger against them let's use it as an example to make it tangible so a lot of people are, are today think real estate's really safe inside that existing system so they'll buy real estate to keep that asset uh to to be able to protect them from devaluing dollars and in that because inflation will favor real estate and 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 the other side of that coin that deflation will will pick the pocket of the working class who has to pay higher rents to that to that real estate and you'll get the 0.1 percent of population taking way more than the 99.9 percent of the population and it'll get worse than it is now a lot worse. And there's nothing inside that system that can change what I just said, no matter what, it gets worse. So, so now, with a government fighting for control for a populace and the populist em- emerging from a, a that most of them are being robbed, what will they do on a CBDC, they will vote for a CBDC so that they can get more money. And then once the CBDC comes in place, the 0.1% that thought their their value of real estate was safe, it'll be redistributed to the others, um, and and it is a natural progression from where we are from here. So people that think their real estate is safe in that system that is based on Ff will, and the people below who think I'm going to redistribute it, both are true through the CDDC, which will will happen, because there's only really two ways to to run this. You centralize everything. And it keeps on centralizing and centralizing, and you hope for benevolent dictators to be able to take it, to look after you, and you do so by increasing the price of everything to make sure that that happens, or you let the free market solve that uh, solve that problem, and and then the free market prices would fall in lockstep as, jo- as jobs left the market, right, um, and you would get more, you'd have to work less each year, and you'd get. Uh, you would get more for less e- uh, e- each year um as as jobs fell away. But those two ends of the spectrum. so china, China's idea of how to make this work is centralize everything. Right? That is their kind of the policy that they would uh, they they would run to centralize everything. and uh, that'll get worse, and that would be very dystopian. and And what the us today and other countries are doing, is trying to follow china's playbook and it would be the worst thing for the you can't attack you can't you can't win that battle by copying china's playbook what the us should do is open up the free market and then it would be checkmate for all of the the the, the centralized economies
0: but as you keep saying jeff can they do that right now like with the way the math
1: of the system i guess what i'm getting at is the 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 when I say the free market, it is already happening on Bitcoin, on a Bitcoin standard. Right. It's just really, it's already, the, 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 you can see, and and if you looked at what was being built on top of Bitcoin, and you looked what is not evident to the wider general population today, but what's coming on top of Bitcoin that's going to deliver extraordinary value, you can already see this is going to accelerate and accelerate and accelerate. And your only question is, which system do you want to be in? Mm-hmm. Right? That's really, and, and it's true for every individual who starts to spend, and it's true for every uh, every government is, but ultimately, it's going to at some point force governments hands, and every individual confront run their government. Um, but but it's an open network that it is the free market operating, and it's showing. Price is following the marginal cost of production. If you want to live in the other system and price from the other system and price Bitcoin from that system, you're you're welcome to. But it's an error in thinking because you're so confused by what makes up that existing system.
0: So I guess, you know, one of the questions that every individual, or at least any capital allocating entity, so individuals, companies, nation states, has to ask themselves, or the question for us, I guess, they have to ask themselves too. But J- Jeff, to your point, I mean, how much, you know, pain is information, right? And in this case, pain is information attempting to guide you away from your increasing demise and toward your salvation, let's say, to use somewhat dramatic language. But, uh, you know, how much pain is, is necessary? You you used the example of Venezuela earlier. I mean, you as you said, you would think that, that would you know a place like that would be ripe for being sufficiently experiencing sufficient pain to really look for other solutions find Bitcoin there's a tremendous amount of information out there and adopt it broadly and I know there's been controls in place and you know that's not necessarily an easy thing to do in that country right now but you know I guess how much how much pain is is, Required to get people to see outside the system, the the paradigm of the system they're in, in order to find a solution there, rather than continuing to go into that death spiral of presuming that the policymaker, it's just a matter of having the wrong policymakers or wrong legislators or politicians in place, thinking that salvation lies vested in them and continuing to perpetuate the circumstance and even make it worse by acting out that belief rather than taking matters into your own hands in, in a manner that is now, you know, newly available, i.e. in the form of Bitcoin and opting out yourself and leaving, leaving the rest of it behind. I mean, I guess the question is like, how much pain do you think
1: is necessary for, for that to take place on mass? Way more than you think. Way, way more. Right. Right. Like, so, so much more than most Bitcoiners think that, to, because what happens is people forget. And, and as this goes back and forth and it creates a, a, a sort of spot it like use that example in uh in turkey or lebanon effectively all of the people there got a wage decrease a massive wage decrease right relative to the world and what will happen is investment will flow back into there and people will think they're winning again and be rug pulled again and it'll happen over and over. that's what's happened been happening for the last 20 years but it put it into into your own society put it into your own thinking And i know i'm talking to people who are way further up the curve to understand what this system looks like but how many people even in bitcoin today um are spending most of their energy yelling at the existing system when there's nothing that's going to change right absolutely and and and, and how many people and then how many bitcoiners are only holding bitcoin as an asset as a hedge against this existing currency collapse and everything else that they're worried about and not actually living in that system, spending it and everything else. And then ask yourself, how if 90% of your time was inside the fiat system, yelling at it, doing spending in it and everything else, and 10% was just acting as a hedge, how fast would you, the new future that you wanted to happen um, come to fruition? And what you'll see in that is that, that hypocrisy that each of us might have too, And how much of our time is building to to the future we want to see versus talking about just spending our time talking about what we're seeing.
3: So, John, one of the reasons why I think it's why it almost feels like the time just keeps pushing further and further to the right without without an abrupt uh, adoption is when you look at how much dollar denominated debt there is around the world, um, then you combine that with most uh, entities, individuals, companies, whatever, around the world with this dollar-denominated debt, most of them are barely profitable. If if they're profitable, and so they don't have any disposable income to save in this pristine right. savings technology, instead, they're they're trying to just retain buying power so they can service their dollar-denominated debt. And make it to the next day within their their
1: business's life, right? And, and cozying up to government because if they don't get a handout, then they they're they're liquidated, right? So you understand how the corporate and government end up taking over all sorts of economic value, and it and it keeps on moving.
3: You can't. The only way you can handle the the price volatility of Bitcoin. Which we know is a superior form of savings on in the on the long tail. The only way you can do that is if you have significant, or moderately significant, uh, disposable income. Because the vol- when when you're thinking through this, right? Like if I'm going to retain earnings as a business, um, I'm only going to retain what I can handle outside of my rainy day uh, cash, uh, working capital right? Like I need three months or six months of cash on hand to service all of all the bills that I've got to pay going out the door. The last thing I want to do is load up on something that has 70% annual volatility, even though I think it's going to go to the moon, because that might shorten my runway of being able to service all those employees. And if I have all this dollar denominated interest debt that I have to pay, and i'm and i'm not in the us i'm in some other foreign country and i'm watching the power of the dollar just obliterate me you're you can see how it's really hard for the adoption for people to want to own this thing with with so much price volatility relative to a dollar stable coin or whatever else okay so this is the plight of uh i won't call them net consumers i'll just say the plight of people who are just trying to keep pace with the current of debasement around the world okay so what's going to accelerate Bitcoin adoption? When are we going to see this? When you're going to see it is when the uh, the existing dollar-denominated dom- debt system, which is massive, and the currency itself becomes, it gets, starts, the, the basement starts showing up in the prices of things. Like we're seeing 10% in, in the UK and Europe, 10% inflation over there. What happens when it goes to 20%? What happens when it goes to 25%, right? And, and when you get into some of these smaller nation states, Argentina, wherever, right? Uh, which is, Argentina is huge, but like some of the smaller ones that that don't have control of this G7 currency and the peg to the dollar and everything else, they're already seeing this stuff, but they still have all the dollar denominated debt and in, in basically G7 fiat currency debt that they're tied to that they have to service, Okay, so once it starts really kind of accelerating, once we start getting like twenty percent kind of numbers, people are going to be desperate for a solution. They're going to be saying, "Okay, I can't," but it has to happen inside of that G seven fiat yeah. currency basket, where we start seeing. And crazy what, what
2: country right will now. be the what? What country will be the first? The one that's the lowest on the ladder of G seven, right? Of which Canada comes yes. in, yes, pretty close to the lowest depending on what number you use, uh, because the country of Canada is less important to the global economy than the state of California. Fact, the state of California has a higher GDP than the country of Canada, yet Canada is a G7 nation. So I often say, all fiat's fail, we know that, but Canada will fail 10 years before the United States fails, in my opinion, and Canada hasn't failed yet, So the USA still has 10 good years to get their act and get together. And you can have a global reserve currency, which is still the US dollar. And the global reserve asset becomes Bitcoin. And hopefully Canada gets their head out of their ass and starts saving in Bitcoin like El Salvador and pricing our our natural gas and uh, natural resources in Bitcoin so that we have a hedge against the fact that the US dollar will be around. It's the biggest fiat cockroach of them all. It will live the longest, okay? And the other little cockroaches are gonna get squashed out. But ultimately, the, the biggest fiat cockroach, if they don't do something right, like adopting Bitcoin, that fiat cockroach will fail as well. So I think, and I think Sailor feels the same, and I I think Jeff and Preston are on the same page. Like there is a path. That allows the U.S. dollar, global reserve currency, to survive because currencies are pretty good at certain stuff. They're just not good at storing your value.
1: I so- think it's uh, so. If if I speak, there, I think what's happening, Greg, is it's it's way more complex than that. So so when I think about a global reserve currency, I think about um, just the notion of a global reserve currency is essentially something that was gold backed. That then yep. created a debt-based market. So when we think about a global reserve currency, we think through everything through a debt lens. Is that fair? Okay. Okay. So so what is so different about this, it, which humans have never seen, right? If this if the, if what I'm saying is true, and Bitcoin retains this decentralized decentralization and security model, which it looks like in all probabilities will happen and will continue get more decentralized, more secure what is actually happening is you have a have a bearer instrument inside a network with unlimited velocity and and that that change means the global reserve there is no need for a global reserve currency anymore you have okay. a new you have a neutral bearer instrument inside a network with unlimited velocity Right? Well, and so when you see layer two, and when you see what's happening with FEDI and, and and everything that's coming, okay, start to see a glimpse of the other network effect that's happening on top of the the bearer instrument that you're talking about. Interesting, and, you, and 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 that would be hard to see over time if you went out far enough. Any fiat currency trying to be a reserve okay. currency in the world. Um, okay. because for, for for global trade to, to happen uh, without triffin dilemma you need a neutral reserve okay and and, I, and 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 this this provides a neutral reserve bearer instrument okay okay in, inside the network
2: well you so um in my weekend of a shit posting i uh <laughs> was basically uh getting getting uh friend you know i became even closer friends to this with this guy who You might, you probably didn't see the tweet, which is cool, but uh, his name, he goes by Vandalay Bitcoin or Vandalay Industries. You know, this guy, he's based actually not in North America, but he's brilliant. I do. I've actually, I actually know his, uh, what his real name is and what country he lives in, but we've never met. And um, he's like George Costanza, right? He goes after George Costanza and he's been in Bitcoin forever, but he posted this uh, uh, one of the better when says Cesar's eight-year-old video on Bitcoin and when Cesar's was trying to orange pill the gold conference in Chicago like eight years ago so the 2016 gold conference or 2015 gold conference in Chicago when by the way Bitcoin was under 500 bucks and everything Cesar said was brilliant but one thing that stuck with me that I did not understand but it even goes deeper is that money wasn't ever actually or barter actually never existed Never existed. What happens, what happened in tribes is, and this is according to Cesar, is that let's say the tribe went out and killed a buffalo and people needed buffalo meat. The the hunter would decide, okay, I owe money or not money, I owe food to this person because they gave me some chickens at one point. And what money was, was a ledger of your debts that you owed to other hunters in the tribe over time if you had taken something from them and then that ledger made sense because it could have been seashells it could have been rocks it could have been in the case of north american indians wampum uh or you know it eventually went to to, to gold as being this ledger so i see what you're saying jeff like I, it makes a lot of sense from that side as well i guess i'll just firmly plant myself right in the middle here and say It's not happening quickly because the other system is just so big and so ingrained that you can't change it overnight. And by the way, I don't want to change it overnight. And I don't think Jeff does either. We've talked about this network transfer where it's not like a light switch. You turn one off and you turn one on. the, The network grows in parallel. And I think we're seeing that happen right now. The people that are coming into this Bitcoin community are blowing my mind. I finished reading Jason Lowry's book, uh, software, which is 400 pages of absolute intense, in my opinion, brilliance. Other people might think it's intense drivel, but please read it because I am blown away by the intelligence of this young man. Um, it's a little repetitive, but everyone says FOSS is repetitive too, because we repeat <laughs> ourselves because people don't listen. So you have to say the You're same just thing six br- ways.
3: You're good at branding. That's
0: all.
2: Great. Well, maybe, but, <laughs> but but you know, repackage, reuse, right? I mean, that's the uh, the, the well, whole. Well, there's thing, always but, new
0: but, people in the audience too, so they're well, getting it for the first time. So,
2: so, but all to be said that you know it will accelerate as the adoption of really smart people, because I talk about people like Jeff, you know, and and Jason Lowry, love him or hate him. Nobody hates Jeff Booth, okay? But lots of people hate Jason Lowry because, and lots of people hate me. I know that for sure, which is so cool because I don't need to like anybody. Like, I just don't need to like you. That's totally cool. If you don't like me, I just don't need to like you. But Jason Lowry is one smart cookie and he is orange pilling, a pretty substantial branch of government that like it or not, it's government and it's a military. And hey, just understand how deep this adoption curve goes and where it's going in different ways. And that's when it starts to happen. Or or more importantly, right, Preston, the second derivative. It's the acceleration. It's not your velocity. It's the acceleration. It's your second derivative of, the do- of adoption. So yeah, it won't happen quickly. But guys, it's already happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. And yet we're impatient. No, don't be impatient. Like, let this thing play out. The best trades that you ever enter in are things that take five years to play out or more, and that's just the way it is. That's the way markets work. If it was not that way, then it would be too easy, right? If it was so easy to manage money, everybody would be doing it, but it's yeah. friggin' hard, and most people are horrible at it because they have too short a time preference. So, low let well, I me. Mean- we're always, just, excuse me. Too, to, you know, they're too. They they want things to happen too quickly,
0: right? I mean, we're always impatient for the things that we want, right? Um, and Foss, I totally agree with your point. And it's so interesting that because you try to wonder, like, what's the thing bringing in this intellectual capital into this space? And the, I mean, just broadly speaking, or simply put, I think it's because it's not just intellect, right? It's I think a lot of people are drawn in because there's an inherent ethic or principle or value within Bitcoin. You know, that's why you you come in because you say at, at a minimum, yes, that is a more fair and rational system to coordinate our affairs of scarce resources and time amongst each other. Beautiful. So yes, yeah. I, I want to be in that system. And so there's the intellect, of course, to kind of grok it, understand the logic and the reason and have the you know the the context to understand it all. But there's also an ethical dimension and maybe it's yep. the case when you combine intellect and ethics or, or or morality it's a type of wisdom rather so what i see in bitcoin is a lot of wisdom like a lot of wise people oh. coming into the space and yes they're in all sorts of disparate fields and they have their niche understandings of things and which is great because we all get to share in it and have these conversations and pass it around and refine all these ideas but it's not you know like the whatever the opposite of brain drain is, you know, that's, that's happening in Bitcoin. It's not just intellect. There's a, there's a strong yeah. ethical dimension well, to workers, the, the magnetism believe, here.
2: Yeah, people believe in proof of work. They've, you know, naturally worked hard in their lives. Their parents probably worked really, really hard and passed along, but that's Jason Lowry's main thesis. It's abstract power versus physical power. It's power that's awarded by rank and proof of stake versus real physical power projection and he figures and I, I can't back this up but I know this is a stat in his writing he figures there's only there's less than 10,000 true abstract power players in the world that are controlling the whole world and there's 8 billion people in the, well, I don't even know how many people. There, there, there right, would well,
1: be, but, there, there, be more than that because their entire, I, I read that stat in the same book too, but there'd, okay. be, a lot more, there'd be a lot more than that because it's an entire system of
2: incentives that rests on-, on Fair on, enough. But I guess so. he's probably saying the real, you know, the general, anybody above general or, you know, the equivalent of a general in the military or whatever. But the point is, again, stick with me. It's abstract power versus physical power. It's, it's, proof of work versus proof of stake okay you yeah. mean or in the case abstract power proof of stake physical power yeah, it, proof and, of work and,
1: and maybe one of the things I'll, I'll hit on here is Bitcoin to me describes it's a prism and you describe yourself through it rather than everyone else right and and everybody's way into that is a lot is is different but it but all of those voices make it stronger. And remove the need for any one person in uh, in this. So so when 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 I hear we are all Satoshi, um, that is what I think about Bitcoin. Every one of us. It's the it's essentially the the better nature of us inscribed into the network for all of us. So it mm-hmm. and 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 so all of those things. That's why I don't get fussed and when I when I read Jason's work and stuff and even when we first met him, Foss. I thought, wow, this is an interesting lens, a different lens, a different prism that hasn't, that might not have been explored. Maybe other people said it before, but they didn't, maybe without his stature, or, or it hadn't been explored at the, the, the level other people, they didn't take it seriously. And he wanted to push that forward. Now, I think what people don't like about it, about it is it comes across as he's the guy, it's his thing, and, 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 and it comes across as ego which they attack and that and that's and, and so for me I could care less about any of those things. Did the argument itself make Bitcoin stronger or weaker and it, because in, Bitcoin is anti-fragile anyways it made it stronger. Um, and and all of those and, and all of those things you could take you could take you could take that and you could just say, is this another way in for more people to this network? That's the net positive. Same same reason some people would turn against uh, Peter McCormick, who I love, um, ah. is but but again the, the, these I are just too. but just different ways in to a network uh, that are that are bringing here's my proof of, of work through a different a different way.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. real Bedford, exactly. love it, love it. Congrats <laughs> to I, Peter I, McCormick, eh? The, congrats to Peter McCormick, By the way, his saw his football the, the team his football won the, team. the
0: cup or something.
2: He yeah. sent out a stat that blew me away there's stick with me here, but there's something like 900 different teams in the UK so, uh, football teams. Uh, and none of them went undefeated except his. It's wild. Now he's at a Ooh, lower you're, division. You're, you're,
1: so I, I, you know, I went there. It was so okay. cool. What, what yeah. he's, what he's doing in that town. Besides we see him on, on Bitcoin podcasts and everything else, what he's doing on that town and in that town is magical. I own a bar, owns this. You should see the kids look up. It looks like Uncle Peter and everything else. And he's he's <laughs> donating to a whole bunch of the junior teams and everything. It's it's a beautiful thing to watch
2: what awesome. uh, I, awesome. I, I
1: came I came away super impressed nice. in, in the way that you're taking Bitcoin into your passion right. and you're expanding it around and making a meaningful difference. It was it was awesome. Well that that's
0: part of the point you were making earlier, right? Because a certain cohort, a certain percentage of people will try to understand their their circumstance, the solutions to their problems, all that kind of stuff. And they will find their way down the rabbit hole. But I think for a lot of people, they'll see downstream things in their lives that they aspire to or that they want or they envy or they admire, and they'll want those things. And then that'll just mean they have to opt into the the manner in which those things are manifest. And I, I see that being the primary mode that most people end up adopting Bitcoin because they'll look at, you know pick your thing, Peter in Bedford El Salvador each of us in our own lives and they'll say what are those people in those places doing that allow them to have that degree of freedom and peace and prosperity and peace of mind and relationships and all that kind of stuff like what's going on amen. there amen and that's what will send them they'll be oh okay it's Bitcoin I mean I don't have a I don't know anything about money or investments or anything but if you're telling me that that is the way I accomplish or achieve those things I'm on board. like like, let's let's do it. And that, I think that's what motivates the process of understanding and adoption and integration. And you know, great, because if if we're really right here, and if we're really convicted about this, Bitcoin will elucidate those things in the lives and jurisdictions of people who adopt them properly. Like if it really is the thing, then it will outcompete local markets and it will benefit people more than the existing system and all those things. So, you know, as we we keep saying here, it's just a matter of, of time, you know, and of course, we all play our part and we all should be exemplars and uh, of the benefits of Bitcoin and not get mired in the mud of, you know, just pointing at how clown world is doing its thing all over the place, because that's, I mean, that's relatively valueless. I mean, it's good to be aware oh. of problems, but just as Jeff, you, you often say, you know, just keep screaming at every little thing that pisses you off yeah. has very little impact. It actually, being a representative or, or an example of the benefits of this thing that we talk about so exuberantly, that's what actually causes the change and and fosters the the markets, the communities, the families, the friendships. That is what's most attractive to people in their lives on an emotional level, prior to being on an intellectual level.
2: So, if I could, so that I mentioned Cesar's talk, fifteen minutes at the gold uh, at the gold. Uh, symposium in Chicago eight years ago, he started his speech by saying, there's an old Spanish saying, when the genius points at the moon, the fool looks at the finger. Okay. And, you know, that's a pretty deep saying uh, where uh, the genius like Jeff and Jason Lowry are pointing the way to the future. Uh, People are looking at the finger and saying, God, it's the finger of a military guy. He can't possibly be right. You know what I'm saying? Or it's a fit. Finger of a guy who started a tech company and wrote a book, but big deal. That's you, Jeff. I'm referring to you, by the way. Which, <laughs> by the way, you also have to read Jeff Booth's book. Okay. It's like a top three book, like 100% top three. Come on, fine. You everybody want to know my already. other two? Come on. Okay, yeah, here, everybody, everybody here's another book. <laughs> okay. Have you read the book Tuesdays with Maury? Yeah. Either of you, any of you guys? Okay. Tuesdays with Maury. Yep, One of the top three books I've ever read in my life, and it has nothing to do with finance or technology. Tuesdays with Maury. I'll save my third one till some other time. But at this point, it might be a nice time to dovetail with this young kid I met over the weekend through his mom who DM me. And she said, my son is X years old. Uh, he's not old enough to drive a car. So you can appreciate how old he is. Uh, wants to come to the Bitcoin Miami conference so bad. I'm driving him there. So she's within driving distance of Miami. Um, and I'm just wondering if you would have two minutes to meet with him. And I'm like, two minutes? I have all time in the world. I'm going to meet with your son. You let me know how I can help him further his education in uh, in Bitcoin. And so she's like, oh my God. She said it took me, and I'm not trying to build myself up, but she said it took me a long time to work up the courage to even reach out to you, to ask you. And I'm like, come on, look at me. Like I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> approachable. Like, am I really like, this is Greg Foss. This guy's the biggest donkey that ever lived in, 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 finance. And yet I survived 300 or not 300 years, 35 years, because I just wasn't stupid. Okay. Like don't do stupid stuff. So don't look at the guy's finger. Look at the moon. When somebody's pointing the direction, don't look at who's the finger, look at where they're pointing the direction. So I'm going to meet with this kid. Um, His mom's already so jazzed, and he's already set up a Twitter handle. So I'm going to ask you guys, just to bear with me, his Twitter handle's at Gen Z, so G-E-N, and then capital Z for the number BTC, okay? So Gen Z for Bitcoin. And he was mocked at school for reading Bitcoin books at school, and all the young kids were like, God, come on, dude, get with it. You know, it's not Bitcoin, it's either some shit coin or Bitcoin's dead, or, you know, it's not cool. Or you just have no idea what you're doing. And yet he's pers- persevered, persevered. So he has this business idea. Uh, and I'm going to try and help him out through the, uh, the uh, looking glass education platform that I'm involved with in the education side. But I'm just so excited that a young kid who's 13 years old, he's going to replace be replacing Charlie Munger. Okay. Someday Charlie Munger will pass away uh, because it's only statistics and that money will be managed by other people, and eventually it may be managed by this young man. Uh, it doesn't matter. The point is we win this battle one funeral at a time, okay? Because as old, crotchety old, stupid fucks who managed money for 90 years the same way, pass away. There'll be new people bringing Bitcoin adoption to the world. So looking forward to to meeting at Gen Z for BTC. If you guys are around, I just love you to, you know, he'll be hanging around, hopefully with me for more than, you know, a a half a day. And I'll introduce him to you guys because I already know this kid is going to rock the world. And I met Jason Lowry the same way. First time I ever met Jason Lowry, guess who was there, Jeff? Peter McCormick. Mm -hmm. And I took Jason Lowry out for dinner in Boston just cause, and it was a great time. And Peter McCormick's the real deal. And you can say what you want about either of them, Jason Lowry and, uh, and Peter McCormick. I'm not going to change my mind, but just don't look at the finger. Look at where they're pointing, not at the finger of the genius that's pointing at the moon. So um, I hope to be that person someday. Um, I will tell you, I've met these kids through Bitcoin community and I'm pretty pretty happy that they are part of our community. So uh, that was my segue into Gen Z for BTC. And uh, that's why adoption will continue, guys, just that simple fact right there.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a lovely story, Foss. And I'm sure you've done a ton of that kind of (laughs) stuff. And, you know, um, connecting with, with like minded people doesn't matter what their age is, and people that are mission aligned and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's super important, you know, it energizes people, business plans get hatched, you know, career paths get determined. So I think that's awesome. I I have two, you know, one comment, one question, you know, before we maybe move on. But um, the flip side of all this, you know, it's so great to be in this space and it's very enriching. And, you know, us kind of saying it's better to be positive and constructive, which I absolutely agree with. One of the things that I love about this space is that, people have the willingness and sometimes a little bit too enthusiastically, but I appreciate it. But the willingness to, to point out imperfection, at least as far as, as far as they see it, whether it's intellectual, whether it's ethical, whatever, because I want that. I don't want to be in a place where everyone's just, you know, kissing my ass the entire time. You know, it's, it's nice to hang out with people that you, yeah, just some (laughs) of the time, but uh, I want people to be like, yo, you got a blind spot here and you're not seeing it. And then I'll say, I'll look at it and as objectively as I can, I'll say, no, you're wrong. You, you, you didn't assess that properly, but thank you. Because, you know, I, I could reaffirm what I, you know, what I know about myself, let's say. Or I could say, holy shit, you're right. That was a blind spot. We all have them. We're gonna have them forever. We're gonna have them in a variety of domains. Thank you for pointing that out. And I don't care if you call me a piece of shit and doing it because that doesn't hurt me whatsoever. I mean, you're just just a word that you know you're using to like I, I i'm just not affected by that so i i really appreciate that not only do we have intellectual weight here not only do we have this thing in bitcoin that's emitting an ethic if you like or and magnetizing people towards it and 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 it causing them to express it more perhaps in their own behavior but also it's in emboldening people to elevate and hold certain principles morals ethics to a higher standard and calling them out in their peers when they when they see there's a deficiency. And I really, really appreciate that, you know? And so um, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, it's all kumbaya and like, don't criticize anyone. I'm saying, I think it's better to be on average more constructive and productive, but I very much appreciate the fact that we seem to be amongst a group of peers that will say, look, I think you're being unethical here. Look, I think you're being an idiot here. And I, you know, I'm more than happy to take that feedback, put it through my own filter. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's all the case that we all want to improve enhance our understanding but you know be better people and so we can take that information and we can leave the the pejorative aspect of it or the emotional aspect and just take the data and if it's valid data we integrate it and if it's not we leave it and on we go you know and i absolutely love that that is you know seemingly a, a hallmark of what we're all involved in in here
2: yeah, the best risk managers in the world, John, are those that read research that is counter to their thesis, okay? Right, right. Because right. they've developed their own thesis and then they seek out research that doesn't uh, applaud them how smart they were for uh, doing their thesis. They seek out research that tells them they could be wrong. And then if their thesis you know, lives through the criticism, they don't change the yeah. thesis. But if it doesn't, they're like, ooh, I better adjust my risk basket, right? Exactly. So I I worked with a, you know, there were a couple of people in my life that have taught me some really, really important ways of managing risk. And one of them was uh, a portfolio manager who basically said, look, I don't want to read research uh, that you find that tells us how smart we are for having this position in our portfolio. I want you to find the research that tells us that we might be sitting on a time bomb here. And if we can debunk their their information or their research, we will continue to hold this position. And if they raise some valid points, then you're like, well, I better uh, adjust. And that's why I always say, look, I've survived 35 years by controlling my losers, not by pounding my chest on how smart I was on my winners. That takes care of itself. That's pretty easy. It's controlling your losers. So I will say this. Bitcoin is the best asymmetric trade I've ever seen. You guys know this. I've said this. But perhaps what I haven't laid out is it's my belief that in 35 years, I only saw five true asymmetric trades in my career. And the first three, I was too smart to actually go into them because you know I was scared. Like I just wasn't a good enough risk manager. And and I I know that there is there, but I put a little bit, not not a substantial enough substantial amount into it. I'm talking less than a full percent of a portfolio into it to make it really make a difference. And they weren't uh, extremely asymmetric. But the first three, I, I overthought the process. Then the fourth one, I actually put a lot of my uh, uh, capital into, but I sold before my thesis had totally played out. And I made really good returns, but not as much as I should have if I had never been, uh, if I had not lost my conviction. And I tried to get too smart by half. Here's where I'm going with this. Bitcoin is the best asymmetric trade of all the previous five ones I've seen. In 30 years, five you're not going to get these chances often, people, okay? They don't come along like a train, like a bus. You have to be lucky enough to be in a situation to identify these. And most of the population is going to turn around and they're going to say, oh, this Bitcoin thing, they're, not, they're either not smart enough or they don't have the conviction to stick with it because of volatility. When in fact, it's the other 90% of their portfolio they should be focused on and they should just put Bitcoin there, up to 10% of it, and not worry about that ten percent of your portfolio. If that's going to take care of itself. It's the other ninety percent. Best asymmetric trade I've ever seen, and you get talked out of it by fudsters and volatility and all the things that markets make you do.
0: You, you talking about Bitcoin like a trade triggers me, Foss.
2: <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm, I'm <laughs> trying not to. I'm trying to say it is an investment opportunity that has a twenty-year time frame. And please, I just don't care to watch your technical analysis and i love tone base like you know he's invited me to uh uh, unconfiscatable to speak this year and i still hope he does after i say this (laughs) ta is for losers when it comes to bitcoin okay you're you're overthinking things okay when i say ta that means technical analysis um and tone has got a following of people who follow him that doesn't mean that he doesn't bring value to the table but i'm trying to lower your time preference extend your investment horizon because this is an opportunity that you are not allowed to overlook based on someone who's only seen 5 of these not even as good asymmetric opportunities in their entire career i hope that's clear
0: it is very clear and i and i agree but so i my previous statement was a statement i had a question attached to that maybe Preston you'd be I mean you can all comment, but Preston, you might be the best one for this because I think you've had the most one-on-one time with Lowry. And I, I haven't read the book yet. I plan to, I think I have a pretty good grasp of his thesis. But to what end is conveying this perspective, this way of understanding Bitcoin? Um, what what is the end of that? You know, so we're we're we've been talking about adoption throughout this conversation, like, you know, what what let's say it's accepted that this is a legitimate way of assessing Bitcoin. I mean, there's no one way to have a perspective on Bitcoin, right? It's many things to many people. It has many different applications. Perhaps the logic of the way he's framing it is valid. um, And perhaps it, it will change the nature of, let's say, dispute resolution between entities in the future. But in the context of how he's trying to position, communicate, and to whom, what is the end of his efforts there? And do you think those efforts are, or what do you think of those efforts, let's say?
3: Well, I can't speak you know, for Jason, sure. but I can sure. give you what I think is, is happening. I think Jason looks at this technology. I think he says, if you're not going to participate in this, you're just going to hurt yourself. Um, and he's looking at it from, hey, US wake up almost to the point where he's trying to shake, like literally grab and shake uh, political leaders, defense leaders, whoever, in, anybody in a leadership position in the United States, shake them awake and say, if you're not paying attention to this, you're about to have your bell rung is, is what I really think he's doing. Um, whether people view it that way or or whether he's going about it in the most optimal way that's for debate right um but I think if we had to uh pull back why he's he's acting the way he is I think that's what he's trying to do um i I've, I've heard and, and and don't I don't forget
2: and, who is don't forget who his audience is too right guys like he's in the military i i I've spent a number a lot of time with Jason too John not to try and compete with Preston but he's a he's a very interesting young kid okay and he's young and he but he's brilliant for age something around 30 that I've never seen before. But that being said, he also has been in a system that requires you. People say, look, he wears military fatigues. Hey, you know what? He had to request authorization not to wear military fatigues when he presented. Because he viewed the weapon that he talks about as being a negative connotation of Bitcoin. For anybody wearing military fatigues. But, but
1: don't forget, but, that's his Greg, and and Preston, I think this was where Preston was going. It's just yes, no question. Has he been positive for this space? Has he in other words, has he brought on new people to be able to look deeper at this? The answer is unequivocally yes, right? Has yeah. has he pissed people off on the process? The answer is unequivocally yes, but that's kind of the point. All of these people, everyone, including you and I, and me, who, do, who do the same thing, the world is made. Of, I don't uh, piss anyone uh, off. Uh, I know but, I don't but, but the, the world's made by a cha- chaotic, chaotic ideas emergent into. It. So, so I can both love somebody's new idea. Yeah. Right. I can love a piece of what they do, and and also say, ah, eh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it the same way that they did. But I still think they're fantastic. Right. Or, or like, I don't have, they don't, nobody has to. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. phone of anybody else. The yeah. whole idea here is you can see brilliance in a whole bunch of different people through a network that shines, shines. And then they just move into the background because the network doesn't care about you, me, Preston, Jason could care less. It just, yeah. it actually by, by its very functioning pushes that prosperity to everybody on this planet instead of one person there. It doesn't have to be, there's no one that supersedes that. And I see, I see that one of the biggest things with people who can't get Bitcoin is they want to be above the network. They can't see it because, because they're, so Elon Elon is a perfect example of, of that. He believes in his, his world and he's reinforced into it by everybody who loves him. That he's the the this the person to save humanity, and and if you believed that, if you believe that you're the you're the person to do uh, to do that, then you couldn't see Bitcoin. You couldn't be all in on Bitcoin because it robs you of that power. No different than Elizabeth Warren, mm. who from her from it, just a different just a different filter on the same thing. Who all of her community that uh, that loves her for attacking big interests without the really believe, or without understanding that, that that comes as a result of picking their pocket and would would elizabeth warren or elon musk both exactly the same thing question everything in their own narrative to be able to break down what gives them their their love and and reverse course or would they or would they just believe uh just believe who tells who says they're greater now when you understand how powerful that is um and it's powerful in all of our lives what i love about a lot of the bitcoiners is this we for myself i am aware of that in group bias i'm aware of if it happens to everyone else i can see then it must happen to me too so how do i prevent that from happening to me and how do i just lean into the greatest parts of different people that i that i really respect and leave the not so great parts behind because I like the great parts. Just, just is perfect. How do I, how do I take that little thing that they taught me, and be a little better in my life on that little thing they taught me, instead of trying to incorporate everything that they that I don't agree into my
2: life. Wow, First Republic shares are down uh, <laughs> under under nine bucks. Okay. <laughs> Uh, down forty six percent on the day, Preston. That's insane. um, for First Republic Bank now has a market cap of around one and a half billion. And my tweet, you did, you said, I go on. One of the salient points is I calculate the market, or actually the book value of uh, First Republic, to be somewhere around negative negative ten billion dollars. Okay. So the delta between where the stock is actually trading versus what its true book value is, is about another $11 billion. And it's only got $1.5 billion (laughs) in positive, okay? So it's so toast, it's done, okay? I'm really sorry. All you fine people that work at First Republic, your chief risk officer was a fucking knucklehead and your stock is worth zero. But it's not First Republic that you have to worry about. It's the contagion effect. Sorry to do this huge thing, but I'm a trader. The markets are still open, uh, and and by the way, I have no uh, no uh, axe to grind in First Republic. Um, so uh, I'm just warning people out there. Banking is all the same. And did you know the biggest bank short in the world is on TD Bank, you guys? Now it could yeah, be really. partially because of an acquisition that's taken place in the convertible art, not convertible arbitrage traders. The uh, um, Takeover ARB traders are shorting one versus being long the other, uh, the stock of the the acquisition candidate. But at the end of the day, the biggest bank short Mm -hmm. in the world is on TD Bank, Big Green from Canada. And uh, oh yeah, I used to work there. And I can tell you there was a time that TD Bank, uh, if they truly had to mark to market their portfolio of technology, media, and telecom, TMT. Uh, you might not have been buying the bank stock at exactly the price uh, you, you should have been buying it at relative to, to the true risks of that portfolio. So TD sidestepped the LDC debt crisis like a champ. They had no Latin American debt exposure, the only Canadian bank not to. But the flip side was in the great telecom media and tech, tele, technology, tele, media and telecom TMT meltdown of the early 2000s. There was no other bank like TD that had the exposure they did. So I'm not calling for that. I'm just saying, people, in five line items of disclosure in a bank's balance sheet, you have no clue the true risk that lives in that portfolio. So SIA, First Republic Bank, you are gone oh, the Greg. way of... Yeah. yeah.
1: But but again, that's actually why I know this is news today and everything else. But if you're watching the movie frame, instead, if you're watching the whole movie play out instead of just yeah. a frame... Right. Yeah, There's going to be a whole bunch more of these frames. Oh, it, it, 100%. The entire thing yeah. is frame, frame, frame. And every oh, yeah. time a frame happens, people are going to yeah. say, Oh my God. Oh my God. And every, and then they're going to, then they're going to believe the next frame says, Oh, we got this. We got this. Oh, I know. This, right, Preston's point before, and your point before this entire system is insolvent. And yeah. if they, if you write down the assets to what the true assets are, and if you let the free market, if you let the free market work, it implodes. So you can't let yeah. the free market work. And you have so it's it's really as simple as that. And if you understand just that without getting into all of this, because because what keeps people stuck is this. They're they're so scared of that that they lean into it more. And they and, and why why are they, why hasn't everybody in Venezuela or in Argentina? Why are they not Bitcoiners? Because as you pick their pocket and everything else and they become anxious and scared, fear paralyzes our mind. And we can't think the same as we could think in it with an open mindset so we don't so that's what's happening to the world and every one of these credit crises is is actually locking them in further to that in a system that's already insolvent it's just the free market cannot coexist with that system period yeah
0: and jeff you're you're Totally agree with your prior point. And I think that's part of the, I mean, taken to its extreme, that's where we get the term Bitcoin derangement syndrome, right? And I take it as meaning people that can't sufficiently humble themselves to this thing. And they, you know, they continually have to to act as though they're bigger than it. And, you know, it just warps their mind over time. And we could all list many different examples of that. And I also think it's why one of the, one of, I was referencing earlier, like the, you know, call it the immune system as it's often called, I don't I don't totally love that metaphor, but- uh, one of the things that they often, you know, is often criticized is, you know, egotistical behavior, you know, in reference to what's going on here with Bitcoin. And Jeff, you know, you had a wonderful conversation with Breedlove recently, and where you kind of explored the idea that Bitcoin induces a type of ego death, you know, and that's, you know, a lot of baggage on that term as well. But suffice to say that it, it kind of that that inculcates or is a result of a sufficient humility to allow the the wisdom of this thing in the wisdom of your peers in and to actually engage engage life in a manner that is productive and constructive and hopeful and you know optimized in in a variety of ways so I just wanted to say that I think you you put that uh, extremely well and then to your to your point just now you know one of the things I'm extremely focused on the orange realm you know I'm really living in that place because I think that's where we want to end up so why not expedite that process by acting as though it's it's here in, in a certain way. But when we talk about all the things that get done to keep this untenable situation patched together, you know, a lot of it has to do, or a lot of it produces a moral hazard, right? Because, you know, a company should fail or people should go out of business or markets should correct. And they don't because there's this massive, all powerful arbiter that just shifts things around to, to stick it together a little bit more. And that, you know, not only does that create moral hazard in, in, in my view, but it creates, you know, it, it it's dramatically incentivizes immoral behavior. And so as I move through the world, whether it's travel or visiting different places, lots of beautiful things to see, lots of amazing people to meet. But I'm always like, when I see the cracks, yeah, I, 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 I guess I put it this way, I can see the cracks of that behavior. I'm like, man, if not for the moral hazard that was created by whatever policy, whether it was last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this experience would be dramatically different right now. But because that exists, because that moral hazard exists, people are acting, people or institutions are acting in a dramatically different way than they otherwise would. And that's creating this suboptimal experience that everyone's being subjected to. And it's totally unnecessary. You know, we, we needn't have to have all the, the, the poorer services, whether it's public or private. But I think because of these policies, that's what gets, that's what the output, the outcome of these policies is. And, you know, it's, and on the one sense, it's maddening because once you see it, you see it everywhere. I mean, you really are able to identify like, oh, I know why that's happening. I know what that, I mean, being a little bit arrogant here, but you know what I'm saying? Like once you see the the meta problem, you can see its manifestations in many different places. Of course, it's also incentivized, you know, this is why we get so enthusiastic about, uh, participating in Bitcoin, but Foss, to your point, uh, and Preston, maybe you can jump in on this one. But to bring it home here, you know, and I, I know we we all appreciate that there's different levels of analysis here. And so, on the one sense, we're all already Zened out in the cave, right? We're all just meditating. <laughs> there we're monks in the cave meditating, just waiting, waiting for, you know, the orange uh, Renaissance to happen. But a different level of analysis. Let's talk about. What's happened and what is likely to happen. Everyone's a lot of people think inflation's gonna come down a bit in the next three to six. We're gonna head into a recession, equities sell off. You know, I'd love to know what you guys think happens to Bitcoin in that sort of an environment. I touched on it a little bit at the beginning. And also, you know, this this crypto regulation that's coming in the wake of all these failures over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, let's say, and what your opinion of that is in whether in the US or further afield. So Preston, why don't you get that one kicked off? Well,
3: I think uh the first quarter of this current year has been pretty demonstrative of what uh we might see as more chaos erupts and they have to do these liquidity infusions that seem to be pretty surgical uh in order to keep the the rails greased and 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 moving. So um, you know, we watch Bitcoin rip 70 to 80 percent after they just casually plopped a trillion into the market. Uh <laughs> plopped is probably the best term I could ever come up with.
1: Uh back back backdoored a trillion into the market.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I you know as I'm looking forward to the, the rest of this year, I think that I mean heck we could based on what we're seeing today with this bank that's that's selling off aggressively, you could see you could see the need for more liquidity infusions into the system in the coming week, with coming month, right? And if they did a trillion before, what's the next one look like? It's probably going to be of the same magnitude or more uh, in order to keep this thing kind of moving along. So as they do that, I think that every one of those like injections into the system uh with such a sizable amount is is going to be beneficial to bitcoin um i think that a lot of the selling pressure that we saw since the last time we we've talked has been uh great from a uh flushing out the bad actors in the space kind of standpoint so like when you think about how all those coins have been consolidated think of the hands that that these coins are getting consolidated into, uh, they continue to flow into net producers and people who have uh, sizable uh, disposable income that can, that can hold them into perpetuity and they don't need to sell them because they're net producers. Uh, those are the people you want holding the coins because they're the ones that aren't going to put them back on the market. And I think that after a year and a half of aggressive selling, I think that's where a majority of the of the coins have nested themselves and is into those types of hands. So as they're doing these liquidity injections uh, and, they're, and the coins are in these really strong hands, I think it's going to be pretty bullish for Bitcoin moving forward. Now, you may get in a situation where even though some of these people have a lot of disposable income, uh, people with sizable amounts of Bitcoin often do have connections to the legacy markets, and they can get themselves into significant impairment, and they might become forced sellers in order to offset that that impairment that they have due to their counterparty risk to legacy uh, markets. So that can happen, and that can provide huge opportunities for people that don't have that exposure.
2: Or so, it doesn't happen, right, Preston? And that's the key. The price actually yeah. starts being correlated to Increased risk means increased price of Bitcoin, meaning long a long volatility asset again. So, yep. sorry to jump in front of you, Jeff, but uh, John said a word, uh, suboptimal. And every time I hear that word, it makes me think of that doorknob, Jim Cramer, right? So, do you guys watch Jim Cramer? Because he uses that word all the time,
0: suboptimal. How dare you, Jeff. How dare you. Compare well, me to Jim Cramer.
2: No, me. Sorry. that. Yeah, that was fast. So, so. So look, um, I'm I'm losing battery here, but but here's the key thing. I'm down to my last five percent of battery power on my iPad here. So if I lose you guys, it's only because I want to leave you with this. Jim Cramer's a moron. Okay, he is absolutely. I think we we can all agree
0: on that one. Yeah,
2: he's the law. So suboptimal. You reminded me of him. Don't sell your Bitcoin right here, right now, because Bitcoin is your portfolio insurance, and you got to focus on the other part of your portfolio. All paths lead to Bitcoin, all paths. You talk about Jeff Booth's deflationary path, it leads to Bitcoin. You talk about QE infinity and uh, stealth QE infinity and this BTFP, which by the way, BTFP, backstop the Fiat Ponzi. Okay, that's what this funding program is that the the Fed has started. Backstop the Fiat Ponzi because very simple, mathematics, debasement is 100% certain. I've never seen a simpler trade in my whole life. And I call it a trade, even though it's an investment. Fiat debasement is 100% certain in all scenarios. That's advantageous to people who are uncertain how they should approach that because it's there's no doubt it's 100% certain. So
1: that's why I, now, that's why I don't see it as a trade. That's, no, the I, I'm sorry, it, I'm a it, trader. That, yeah. I always
2: say, you know, asymmetric trades. I don't think of, yeah. you know, it's really an asymmetric investment. But you got to trade something to get into it. You're trading fiat to get into it, and then you keep it for as long as your thesis is in line. So I apologize, but it's an investment, 100%, 20-year investment. But here's the coolest thing. You know that fiat debasement is 100% certain, and the gold bugs have known this for a long time, but they just, they're holding an inferior uh, hard asset. But don't sell your gold to buy Bitcoin. Don't sell real estate necessarily to buy bitcoin sell your bonds hey preston your bonds those are fiat contracts those are programmed to debase sell your bonds to buy bitcoin that's the simplest trade i've ever seen and three years ago when i wrote my paper to get me to become really good friends with you guys i think i think i'm a friend (laughs) jeff jeff actually uh you know (laughs) you've saved a few of my shekels here and there and uh more importantly some life uh, choices So I'll just say this. Three years ago, I saw this coming. I've been ambulance chasing on the bond market since then. Bonds have probably reached a historical fair value level if fiat debasement wasn't 100% certain. But fiat debasement's 100% certain and bonds are a fiat contract. So you still shouldn't own bonds for the long term. You can pretend you can trade them. But picking up nickels in front of a steamroller is never a wise investment or trading advice. So all of these paths lead to Bitcoin, John. I'm gonna lose you guys because I'm less than five percent of my power on 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 my iPad now. I know you wanted this to go for another hour potentially. I just don't have that uh, time or my uh, my iPad power. So I apologize if I if I drop out uh, early here. But hey, Gre- guys, Greg, go ahead.
1: I got yeah. an idea. I, I got an idea. Just take the cord where you'd plug it in and hold it to your
2: hands. Well, your that's power. my iPhone. <laughs> but I, okay. I but your now power. I don't have earphones. Now I don't have earphones. Okay, I'll do that. But okay, stay, stay with me. Stay with me.
0: Um while, I while love Greg energy. While Greg is doing that, um, and I also for the record, I even investment triggers me because I just see Bitcoin as so much more than that. But um, Preston, just to finish off what you were saying. The inflation discussion, you know, and again, like, I know this is all somewhat, somewhat irrelevant, but it's interesting, you know, do you think, because I heard you say earlier that, you know, we're going to be potentially in a even more inflationary environment for longer. Do you think, you know, the reprieve potentially that's happening now is just that, and it's, you know, it accelerates as, as these uh, failures happen and as the responses to the failures are implemented and that kicks you know, off the, the next kind of round of inflation?
3: Well, I'd say you have reprieve in that the infl- the rate of inflation has slightly come down here in the US, but in Europe, it's, it's not. It's still ripping strong, which kind of goes back to the point I was making at the beginning, which is I'd, I'm not convinced that any of this is under control at this point. Like I'm just not like based on the charts that I'm looking at and the volatility of those charts and you know what would kind of represent a sh- a shift in momentum to me I'm not
1: seeing it at all. See, so let's let, let, let's let's dig into that the what Preston's saying there and just and and just let's level set. If you allowed deflation, if you allowed the free market, which is deflationary, because productivity is deflationary, um. The existing entire system resets. No one on this panel or otherwise would vote for that for any length of time. The, tre- the The Fed would be overtaken by the Treasury, and society would vote for for more. and And even if you kind of layer into what Preston's saying is, even if they tighten right now, and a whole bunch of people are out of work, and you expand government spending to be able to pay those people services, that's an inflationary right? You're going to drive inflation because you're printing money, you're making up more monetary units the entire time to be able to do that. So you're, so it, inflation is a feature of this system and it has to, it's insolvent without higher inflation. So if it doesn't create higher inflation for any length of time, whammo, you have a deflate, you have a credit collapse that expands, expands and it trickles and it goes really fast around the world and everything that you think doesn't have counterparty risk immediately has counterparty risk including the, shell, the including the grocery store with all the food on the shelves and every supply chain and everything else and that's what all over the world governments are trying to prevent that that collapse and right now and now you have geo geopolit, geopolitical game playing that that China knows that Russia knows that they're trying to, to create this counterforce and and the fed is trying to backdoor operations and save the countries that they choose to save and the banks that they choose without the entire system imploding that's what and 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 now you're having more and more risk of of mistakes you, you, you're essentially driving 90 miles an hour with brakes with a 20 second delay trying to, to trying to uh trying to figure out what to do on this spot and there's nothing they can do is that I fair? agree there's is that fair is that fair is that fair sure. yeah and that's yeah. why yeah. and and, that, and that's why, and and that's why like no matter what if there's not a higher rate of inflation it's game over for the entire system there will be a higher rate of inflation right because of that now there might be periods that and that's why you got to be really careful if you took out a whole bunch of leverage and then it til- tilts the other way you're liquidated and what Preston talked about with a whole bunch of people playing fiat games inside this against their Bitcoin is they're going to get caught offside on these trades because it's going to be really volatile around the world. And it's gonna kind of that that then that volatility is going to increase to Fossa's point as well, around the world because because the system is going to try to flex back and forth, and this is gonna break over here because they're trying to manage an entire global economy through this. Through this function, and it just breaks.
3: You had a lot um, of people that that just got totally wrecked in the past year because they were playing that game, but they were playing it in a way that their that their collateral was marked to market on a secondly basis. the right. the, the next potential shoe that I'm talking about are people that that don't have their collateral in a mark to market secondly basis, like the these ones that just got wrecked, but. I would I would argue with myself and say that I think that these people who have this counterparty risk in traditional markets that don't have that same turnover rate for their collateral marking, I don't think that they have huge positions in Bitcoin. I think most of the the huge positions in Bitcoin are OGs that like this is all they own and they're obsessed with it. And they uh they're sitting on thousands of coins and they've they've thought about how they're gonna preserve that position size. Uh, and it's in, in like you, John, they're not looking at it as a position. They're looking at it as, as a thing that's literally going to change the planet. And they're the ones sitting on thousands, tens, tens of thousands of coins. And so that's why I I'm pretty dang bullish at this point, moving forward, despite the
1: macro backdrop and how uh volatile it might get. And let me just add to what Preston said it's normal we think in in in-group, out-group bias or whatever, we would see an organization as a collection of a whole bunch of people with the same values as that organization. I can tell you with flat-out guarantee, because I talk to many people inside these organizations, that they're already Bitcoiners. And so when I see Bitcoiners attacking these organizations, and they're full of Bitcoiners already, I see a mismatch in it people are people and then incentives and there's and to think that there aren't bitcoiners in in the in the highest institutions around and where and some of those some of them may may or may not be lps in our fund right because the, personally as they as they see wow this is a shift and that this is and for the same reasons not to make a whole bunch of money because you would not be allowed to be a lp in our fund without same ideation around where this is going in uh, in Bitcoin um I was in Bedford one of the one of the fairly senior in the in the Bank of England came up to me and he said, listen, I have to disclose all of my my holdings in the Bank of England because uh because I'm a Bitcoiner and so do a whole bunch of my friends that are work with me in and, and we're all bitcoiners and hardcore bitcoiners and have been for a long time. so we it's easy to think and get lost in this easy narrative those people us people there is no they it's just we right when there are enough of we decide we're going to move and we're going to spend more our time in the new system that's the system that emerges and it it, that's why it's inevitable that's why i don't see it as a trade anyway either uh it's inevitable
0: yeah how about i agree with you jeff as always um because you've you've made that point before and I, i think it's an important one but how about Gensler apparently not owning any Bitcoin? Isn't that just weird? You know, you you teach a course on it at MIT, you're, you know, presumably an expert, at least to some people. And uh, you know, according to his testimony recently, he has never owned any Bitcoin. Cause I agree, there's like
1: I think there's sleeper cell bitcoiners if you, everywhere. If if you can't do teach. <laughs>
3: Yeah, or, or I would, or I would say, how do you define owning it? Uh, you know, can you own an entity that then owns it? Like I, I would, I would plow into the definition of what that is because I think he, I think he has exposure, right? But he might not have it in his personal account. But right. He might right. own uh uh an EIN, you know, company that has tons of it on their balance sheet, right? So does he own it, or does he own that that equity that owns it, right?
0: Yeah, totally but I you know to the to that point I think there's a, a lot of sleeper cell Bitcoiners everywhere you know and they're just working behind the scenes or not vocal. I mean there's how many vocal Bitcoiners are, are there on Twitter like actual not bots not whatever it's less than ten thousand, presumably you know there's or maybe a bit more but it's not like millions right but they're probably you know there's probably a lot of people that hold Bitcoin but they're just not loud about it you know it's they they choose to be silent about it they go about their business And perhaps they're working slowly in the background and, and good, you know, because it's nice to have some covert operatives for the good guys for once. Um, I won't keep you guys much longer, but kind of on this, um, this point, uh, and then, you know, I'll send it over to you guys for closing thoughts or anything you wanted to cover before we shut it down. But on that point, why do you think, you know, in, in looking at the landscape as all public companies have to do, they have to manage risk, they have to look, you know, years out into the future macroeconomic landscape, all this kind of stuff. Why do you think more have not identified the utility of Bitcoin to them and their balance sheets and their businesses as MicroStrategy has done? Now, I know leading up to the conference, I think some of you are involved, MicroStrategy is putting off a big uh, Bitcoin for Corporations uh, in-person event, I think, uh, which is awesome. And, you know, so a lot more education will happen and hopefully that will you know, uh, change behavior a little bit, but why do you think it's the case that of all the public corporations in the world with all the problems that they're facing because of the macro situation we've been discussing, how come more haven't opted for this solution? Is it political?
1: Yeah, no, I think my my insight would re, uh, reinforce what I said before is when you're, you're in a, co- or a cog in the system and you think the system can solve it, you lean in more to, to that system and, and Bitcoin looks, looks like a risk asset. In other words, very few people go down to the plumbing of the existing system, how it's wired, how does it work, how does it, what are the positives, what are the negatives of that system? And what does it, what does it look like globally? What is the impact there? I know a lot of Bitcoiners do that because they were forced through the, that system to question that, but very few normal people go down that path to that level. As well, once even if you did, would you go down the path all the way to the bottom of Bitcoin to say what could fix it, to understand the plumbing, to see how that was secure and decentralized against the other system that it could emerge? And very few people could do that. Now, once there, so in other words, like Foss says, why it's an asymmetric bet is by very nature, very few people doing that. It has to be an asymmetric bet right? Because that's going to happen in time. And as more and more people understand the true nature of this, they're going to move into it, um, creating a stronger and stronger network effect. In addition to that, um, for most of Bitcoin's life, it didn't have a utility, except for that decentralization security against the existing system. So you couldn't see what would happen on a protocol level where all of the new technology essentially a peer-to-peer internet was emerging right before your eyes and you're measuring it from that new system you wouldn't be able to see all of what was available there until it was already built out and available so we're really early in that development and so i can totally understand And i talk to these people all the time i can understand why they're stuck why they would be stuck because they haven't done that that type of work and they haven't examined this new network for its merits because it's confusing
3: how many billion dollar companies via market cap if that's what you're using to to you know state the size still has a has a person that has control of the board voting right wise uh to make bold decisions Combined with the idea that if you are this person and you're a billionaire because you have so much control of, of said enormous company, uh, is bold enough to go out and and implement an idea this aggressively when, you know, if you're worth a billion dollars, right? And you can do anything you want, most billionaires are just saying, I want to preserve this and and grow it. You know, not aggressively, but grow it right? Cause that sustains my lifestyle and that sustains my way of life. And in this, this amazing environment that, that I've got for myself, right? I don't have to literally hit a grand slam, not just hit a grand slam, but hit a grand slam literally out of the park. I don't need to do that. I don't need to put on that display of, of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, And so let's look at micro strategy when they took on this strategy. I I, I want to say that, uh, and I would like to rename the company to Macro Necessity. But, um, <laughs> uh, but when we look at this, his treasury was like a half a billion dollars. of so like how much retained uh, liquidity he had, like retained earnings he had that was liquid. It's like 400, 500 million dollars or something like that. When we look at the price of Bitcoin back then, even 1% of that would have protected that treasury. So we're talking, what, $5 million was really kind of the position size that would have preserved the buying power of that, assuming this narrative is correct, right? So even if you had the billionaire founder who still had voting control of the company and they understood all of this and they were going to take in a uh, a position that protected it and maybe grew it a little bit, which would be like a 2% position size or a 3% position size, they probably would have bought 10 to 20 million dollars worth of Bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet as basically like a, a marketable security uh, as a current asset. So that's why you're not seeing it for large, uh, multi billion dollar enterprises around the world. Now, where you might see it, but you you wouldn't see it is is in the private sector space. If a company mm. is still private and it's a 500 million dollar company or it's a billion dollar company and you still have some founder that's really controlling all the equity, they understand this because they're you, they've done the due diligence, and they've done the homework and they're actually dealing with the inflationary impacts of the basement on their balance sheet and they're looking all across the You know, the spectrum of things that they can invest non operationally on their balance sheet with respect to fixed income or equities or whatever. Like they're going to put it on there, but they're not going to do it in the the demonstrative way that Michael Saylor has done it, which is I'm all in. Like I can't afford to put anything else on my balance sheet because nothing else makes as much sense as this makes. But you got to remember, Michael's a technology person. Like he built that billion dollar enterprise from literally nothing. And it's uh data intelligence, right? So it kind of makes sense that that would be the guy that would, somebody from that background and that technical yeah. expertise and an engineer and understanding of energy and like all these things would be wrapped. And he's bold enough to to go take on a huge, that's why I think you it's a one-off kind of scenario. It, yeah. it really so, is. They,
1: what Preston said is super important. Your public company, you, you you might think the CEO has all this power. If the CEO decided to do that against their board, um, they wouldn't be the CEO for very right. long.
2: That's right. My, yeah. Well, that's and been... guys, so, sorry, go ahead.
0: I, I was just very quickly, I was gonna say, that's been, that's my impression and my experience is that um, in those type of, you know, the corporate structures where no one has the type of power that Sailor had, let's say, or type of influence and control, uh, nobody wants to stick their neck out there. And in all those meetings where even if you just discuss the option, it's still very unpopular, you know, environmental yeah. FUD comes up, you know, the recent 2022 fiasco comes up, and you get you get derided and sidelined and criticized and nobody wants that, you know, uh, shade. So why not just stick to regular old stuff, oh, vanilla it's programming, called- it's safe. Yeah. Want, you know, and you, you, you don't get your, your ass is not on the chopping block. You don't have to put up, you don't have to convince a whole board about the merits of Bitcoin against all the FUD that, you, you know, is in their mind already. So it's the safe bet So there's a, there's
2: a theory, John. It's actually Ironically. called the theory, the theory of agents. Okay. The theory of agents is if no one else is doing it, it's better for me not to do it. So I can compare myself to the other people that didn't do it. And even if it means we missed a huge opportunity, at least I'm not an outlier that risk a career uh, by promoting something that went in the wrong direction for me. So hmm. I don't think corporations are ever going to be the ones that move the needle as much as funds and portfolio managers. So I don't know if you guys are aware of a Swan Bitcoin tool that's been created. And Preston, if you're not aware of this, you got to follow this guy, Alpha Zeta, who is uh, the CIO of uh, Swan Bitcoin now. His real name, I think, is um, wait wait. Yeah, he's from Brazil. But Don't anyway,
0: talk him Okay, yeah, On yeah he, he's, No, he uh, he's
2: fine. He's the uh, okay, His okay, real name okay. is Raphael. Because you can go to the Swan uh, the Swan Bitcoin uh, web page and see who gotcha. he is. But his Twitter gotcha. handle's alpha zeta, and he's made this thing called the Nakamoto Portfolio that basically adds Bitcoin to any single portfolio you can create. And he has its open source software. And it's absolutely brilliant on how it can show that Bitcoin can increase returns and reduce volatility. Now, it's historical because it's looking in hindsight, but you can run the portfolio sensitivity. Now, as strong as that is, the theory of agents dictates in Canada, if Ontario teachers isn't doing it, then Case de Place Mance, Quebec, the big Quebec pension plan doesn't have to do it because they compare themselves to Ontario teachers. So you guys may know that I got my start trading high-yield bonds in Canada in the early 90s, okay? And in the early 90s, high-yield bonds in Canada were not an asset class. Michael Milken had done all his stuff in the USA, and the USA was about 20 years ahead of Canada on a portfolio management basis because Canadians viewed bonds as being capital preservation and equities as being capital appreciation, but junk bonds file fell somewhere in between. You could get capital appreciation, but you can also have high default risk. Point is, when I started, there was one fund manager in Canada that was my client, and all other clients were in the United States. Crazy. But that fund manager was from Vancouver, British Columbia, right in Jeff's backyard, a smart, smart guy by the name of Doug Knight from Dean's Knight Capital Management, the only high-yield bond fund manager in Canada. Now every single fund in Canada has a high yield allocation or silo because eventually Ontario teachers got into it, and then because Ontario teachers got into it, into it so did Omer's, which is the Ontario Municipal uh, Employee Retirement System, and so did Caisse de Depot Plasma to Quebec, and so did you know the big uh, uh, Talvest and all the big fund managers in Canada because once they uh, the competition was into it and they were outperforming, they looked like donkeys by not having an allocation to this, high yield bonds. Well, the same thing is gonna happen to Bitcoin, but it's not gonna happen amongst the treasurers and the CEOs of publicly traded companies. It's gonna happen in the fund management, diversification of assets, run it on the, so it's called NakamotoPortfolio.com, okay? And it's friggin' brilliant, And once again, it's programmed by a kid, open source software. You can see all the the, the programming that goes into it. And it's just, you don't have an argument for not owning this from a diversified portfolio management perspective. Being a treasurer at a corporation, yeah, you know what? There's too many liquidity concerns, too much uh, uh, your public stockholders might revolt because they're like, I don't want to own Bitcoin. I can buy it by myself if I wanted to. So you see how the diversification is different there, and that's why theory of agents will require treasurers to be very separate from uh, portfolio managers or big fund managers like the publicly trade. Uh, excuse me, the public pension funds and that and the like.
0: Boss, I agree. I agree with that analysis. But you know, one of the ironies there, and Francis Puyat brought brought this to my attention or tweeted it out a while back. But I'm not sure if it was Ontario teachers. Quebec teachers, Quebec government, one of those. No, it's
2: Case de Depot bought Celsius. Yes, that's where you're going yes. with this, right? <laughs> of course it was. It was the stupid <laughs> Frenchman, and I'm allowed to say that because <laughs> I'm married to a French lady. Okay, so the Case de Depot is one of the worst asset managers in the world. And guess what? They manage the pensions of my parents because my parents are Quebecers, and so is my sister. But try and do a good job, okay? Case de Depot, plasma de Quebec. Don't overthink things. Don't invest in shit coinery invest in Bitcoin, a totally different type of asset than all the other digital assets out there, okay? And some may say, oh, you know what it actually is? Credit default swap insurance on a basket of fiat. Hmm, that actually will hold water someday. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll be alive for it, maybe not, I don't care. The point is, this is a new concept, it's only 13 years old and it's coming and it's coming hard people and you're gonna miss it.
0: You're going you're gonna to hear them press release in a couple of years and say that exact thing. But at the bottom, they're going to quote Mike Novogratz.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm totally cool with it. Like, I just don't care. I just don't care. Like, that's the key thing, because I own this for my children. And so does Jeff, and so does Preston, and so do you, John. We don't care. Bitcoin doesn't care, and I don't care. And my kids are going to someday look at that old, soggy fart in the corner, and or sorry, the grandkids, and I'm going to be in my diapers and I'm going to be wetting my pants next to the fire. And the kids are going to be like, who is that guy? And my kids are going to say, he's the reason we can all travel around the world in prosperity and freedom because he bought Bitcoin. So go change his diapers, you stupid grandchildren, <laughs> Okay. And, and that's what's, and that's, what's going to happen. So that's Attaboy. why I own Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. Attaboy, Foss. All right, guys. Um, I think we're good. We'll shut it down now. I'll, I'll each, each one can get a little sign-off. Last topic, if anything you want to cover. Preston, why don't you go first? I don't have anything.
3: Uh, I, we talked – well, here, I do have something. Um, we talked a lot about the financial uh, lens of, of Bitcoin, but I would tell you I think one of the most powerful things happening in Bitcoin right now is really what's happening in the global south and the opportunity that it presents to just bank, to just plain bank people
2: that are unbanked.
3: And to transact in a superior form of money that they've never had access to that when you look at what they're dealing with on a day to day basis, the currency that they are dealing with is, you know, getting debased at 50 to 100% annually, and they can't trust anybody with the currency that they're that is forced upon them. They have smartphones, they have devices in order to conduct transactions, this is where I think as Westerners and people that grew up in one of these G7 countries and the financialization of everything, like it's, co- it's completely lost on Wall Street where this, where this is really going to get real traction, completely lost.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and I think that that's probably where the real story of Bitcoin is at. And, and it's just going to be, it's going to be magnificent to sit back and watch like what that means for the world and for the opportunity and for what it means for energy, inserting energy into all these local domains. Like it's just going to be mind blowing. Yeah. So I think that's the real story of Bitcoin. You know, we it's, it's very easy to talk about all this other stuff because it's, you know, it's, it's what we see on a day-to-day basis in the West and what we see in our Twitter feeds and things like that. But I think that
0: that's the real story that's, that's lost upon most. Yeah. And I just, I'll jump in because someone in a company who's been doing a lot to service that market and, and enable that market for many years is Paxful. And I just want to give a shout out to our boy uh, Ray Yusuf, because the way he's been handling the mess of problems that he's had at Paxful and what he's doing to make users whole and, you know, try to make sure everyone gets their money and just, just the, uh, you know the integrity he's bringing to bringing that p- particular venture to an end uh, is super impressive, and I think is you know a great example of of how entrepreneurs should conduct themselves when you know things go south or when things come to an end. So, m- big shout out to all Ray's work that he's done for that demographic of people over the last several years, and in particular how he's handling everything uh, right now. Foss, over to you
2: for the kids. Come and change my diapers in 20 years, grandkids. Okay, <laughs> this is why I'm doing it. Sorry to be, you know, once again, I surprise myself at my own stupid uh, <laughs> voice. But uh, sometimes you have to tell the truth. I've changed both of my parents' always, diapers. Always, Foss. Always, if you got to tell the truth. Yeah. So I've changed both of my parents' diapers. Okay. You grow up. You you you're brought into this world as a baby, and you generally leave this world as a baby as well. Meaning you're wearing diapers, and it's not a fun thing. But someone has to do it, so it's going to be my grandkids. But they're going to be happy doing it because I get sats I for
1: every Bitcoin diaper they change.
2: There you go. Uh, thanks, guys, for having <laughs> me. It's always a pleasure.
1: Jeff, bring it home.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, monopolies, is uh, we're sitting inside the monopoly of money, and we're closest to the monopoly of money in in the Western world. Not realizing that the fur- people furthest away are most hurt, and that uh, and and what's happening and technology always redistributes from the bottom up it's not from the top down it's always the the people that furthest away from monopoly go first because they have the most value to be gained the, what that means for this trend transition is you're going to see the biggest global you're going to see the biggest global move the world has ever seen from rent extractors to value creators and it's underway right now and so the only question is how early do you want to be a value creator and move to this to this new new system but it's going to happen anyways and if you're a rent extractor from the existing system it's not the new system isn't going to serve you well there's no wonder there's so much fight against it mm. amen gents it's always a pleasure so great to uh
0: to chat with you guys again and hopefully I'll have a f- we'll all you know we'll have t- some time to get together in Miami and continue the conversation and hang out a bit because uh, I love you guys and it's always great to hang out so until then, right be back, well man. and see you in a few weeks.
2: Thanks, John. Look forward to it. Love you guys too. Thanks, Thanks again. To see you
0: guys. Thanks,
2: Bobby.